I, th- I think you're wrong, though. I think the first Velcro <laughs> word. <laughs> Say what? Say what? First is also a word. You know, I know like, that's a that's a fair point, but but yeah. uh, um, well, we can agree to disagree. I think it, it's, I, no, I love I love that disagreement between you and I because it, <laughs> it 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 fosters much more uh much much more interesting fodder for thought. Um, I mean, it's it's true that it is. Well, on one level, yes, it's word and um, and number, but I. But really, it's like uh, really the only numbers that existed were one and many, um, maybe two. After a while, you know, it's like uh, right. they exist as words, you know. Um, yeah, yeah. But they're, the thing is, verbal it's, concepts. Right? I, I I also incorporate the um, the technical definition of information, or like the physical definition of information into my information kind of worldview in that any phenomenon generates information that describes it, even just raw data, like saying this particle moved nine microns to in, in, you know, nine degrees, 12 minutes or whatever westward or whatever, you know, so like that's information, that's data, that's information, right? And it's, it's so my so tying back that to my words or numbers thing, the instant the instantiation of a word generates information right along with it. Right. So so numbers and, and the most fundamental unit of that information is numeric or quantity quant, uh, is, is quanta. Right. So so that's I mean, that's kind of how I think about it. It's like the, the, the you you is the moment of utterance the the precise beginning of utterance is also the precise beginning of of quanta so there it's a simultaneity and that's why i believe that number and word emerged at the same time yeah I, except i just don't i i don't i don't think um that those Quanta exist until we develop language to identify them. Um, okay, so I would so that, argue existed before the language. Or well, yeah, it's it's it. it, it you're, we're talking about a singularity, you know, almost, or like the the we're trying to quantify a, um, a point in time that occurred at an infinitesimally small moment after the singularity, right? So like, well. Um, except the singularity is also a story that develops later, right? Like it's not uh, like there was no singularity, you know. Like uh, like um, for Blake, he would say like, yeah, the, the the world is flat, you know. We don't experience a round world. Like he's not saying that's literally true, but that's what we experience. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And we only experience things. Uh, we only experience things through our senses. Uh, as they happen, right? As they happen. So, so anything else is is a is an abstraction. So this is right. this is, I think this is what Blake borrows from Berkeley. You know, like uh, uh-huh. Berkeley's idealist philosophy. It's like um, the only reality is perception. Um, right. So he calls he he's called he calls himself originally an immaterialist. Um, 
Mm-hmm. Later, he calls himself a um, an Blake idealist. Does or Berkeley does. Berkeley. Berkeley does. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. Um, but really, what he's saying is is he's not denying matter. He's just saying that matter always is coupled with um, thought. You know, with perception. Right. I so, agree with that. So then. None of these sort of uh, so it's it's sort of his argument against Plato and maybe Pythagoras, right? Uh, eventually, goes goes that far back, right? So mm-hmm. so Pythagoras would say, yes, there are numbers there that are eternal, or Plato would say there are ar- archetypes there that are eternal, uh-huh. and then Berkeley would say, no, um, the only thing that is eternal is perception, and perception is is eternal. But it's not; um, it doesn't exist in an abstract realm beyond perception. Um, so I, I, th- I think that's maybe the split, you know, between words and numbers. Like numbers, numbers only exist in an abstract realm, um, unless you say they're created by words first. Right. Well. Do, do you see what I'm saying? Or? I do. I do. And. Yeah, I mean, well, the other thing I mentioned in that podcast is that everything is true. So if I really mean that, then we're both right. (laughs) (laughs) That's the the Jainist uh, point of view. It's everything, any kantavada, every every side works. Yeah. Uh, No, no, it's not a big deal. No, I'm I'm not, of course, I'm not offended by uh, by that at all. I, I think it's a great... Disagreement too, because it gets it gets right at the heart of everything. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Just... I love, and 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 it's almost like, I mean, my willingness to 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 kind of put myself in in, in the shoes of your uh, perspective on it um, is, you know, is something that I strive to do always in general. Like I always try to, I I I, I don't like to be firm. Um, in any position, or at least not for too long, because I never am. And, you know, when you're, especially when you're getting down to those like core principles, you know, kind of or uh, concepts, I mean, it's all like it to me, it's almost uh, not repellent, but when when I encounter people who are who are really firm and like no this is this is how it all began I'm just like all right okay well <laughs> <laughs> I envy your your certainty there buddy but um, that's quite a that's quite an assertion to be making you know like how can who knows and I and I just I I'm fascinated by just cataloging and collecting all of the different versions of what of and theories and beliefs that have have existed throughout history about what that can be not ever expecting to find anything definitive because it, how could it be how could anything definitive like that exist you know it's just for me it's fun to just keep riffing on on how all of what how all of these different ideas and beliefs intersect um what they what, how they differ how what they have in common you know because I'm probably not going to find out until I'm dead. Oh, if that, I don't, I don't <laughs> that's another question, I guess. Exactly. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. and I said um, probably. I said probably. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, 
Yeah, no, the fun thing about that is, no, the reason why that's such an amazing uh, point, you know, the words and numbers point is because if you, if you do really think about what that means, it, it's, it's, it's like a fundamental difference almost, you know, perhaps, mm-hmm. you know. So it goes right back to the idea, like the, the biblical idea. Um, in the beginning there was the word and the word was God and the word was with God, right? Um, the logos or, which is Christ, right? Mm-hmm. But Christ as logos, as God, um, and the original word was, was fiat lux, you know, let there be light. Um, so in that sense, it's like, okay, so that's the first word that comes out. And so all, all of the universe comes from that word, derives from that word and maybe splits off like the spectrum of light divides and, and keeps dividing. Um, but at the same time, then, what about the ideas in the mind of God, right? And so you can go a step further back and say... Before the ideas that led to the utterance, you mean? Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. So, so then then you could go further back and say, ha-ha, those, those ideas are archetypal and numerical, <laughs> you know? Right. So, so that's an interesting point. But then <laughs> I think you can go further back again, right? And so um, there's the... What we're talking about on the... Um, on the email thread, right? The idea of pata, and then beyond that, nun being sort of this uh, matrix or this fluid medium, chaos basically, right? Where even the gods, even the creator god, um, comes from, derives from. So, at that point, yeah, at the point of chaos, yeah, you're right. It's like. Uh, you can't say it's number or word. It's just potential at that point. Yeah. I mean, it's funny. I um, Here, wait. I'm going to forward. <laughs> Have I ever shown this to you? Um, here we go. Come here. All right. Copy. wasn't from Egypt. He was, he was from Earl. He was from where? <laughs> you are. <laughs> so I've ever told you about my... Well, yeah, I just thought it's funny that HTTP backwards is Pata. Yeah, that's right. right. <laughs> <laughs> I made that one day. <laughs> um, hey, just can I can I get off just for a bit? I've got a uh, oh yeah, got yeah, a, yeah a Bruno quote that I've got to find for you. After this, remind me to tell you my Pata theory. Well, you no, know, you can you can tell me as I'm flipping through this. Um, yeah, this is a this is a guy actually McIntyre talking about Bruno, um, his philosophy. So in Bruno's philosophy, number itself is not an absolute but a relative determination. Um, it does not touch the number of the thing itself. Nature has no difference of number as we have, of odd and even tens and hundreds. Nor do the gods, spirits, or, or other rational beings define the numbers and measures of the object in the same series of terms, 
Both numbers and the method of numbering are as diverse as the fingers, heads, and mental equipment of the numbers. Uh, but this was not the quote that I wanted. It's an interesting one, but it's not yeah. exactly the one. Um, no, I'm not seeing it. That's all right, yeah. I'll find it some other day. It's just for the sake of argument. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I can't find it. Okay, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll send it to you some other time. Cool. Um, yeah, anyways, yeah, Bruno's amazing. Like, Bruno, um. I need to read more of him. I've only, I mean, I haven't read him directly. I've read, uh, Francis uh, Yates. Yeah, Francis Yates. Yeah. Um, and she's a little, she's okay. Her, her writing is a little dry for, for me, but. Oh, really? I, I mean, I'm, I'm just, well, no, I mean, I'm just a, you know, some, some, some stuff is just hard for me to, to read. <laughs> it's just, I'm not a good reader. I, she, I, yeah, I just said, oh, really? Cause sometimes, um, people blame her for the opposite, that she's not academic enough <laughs> in, in her style. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, she's pretty good. Like, um, people fault her for her interpretation of Bruno, but I think she's still got it. She comes the closest, really, to his to his entire spirit. I think. Uh huh. That's good to know. Yeah, I should revisit that. I never finished it, but he's he's such a strange sort of liminal thinker, though. You know, like um, right. Or maybe he's not. You know, like that's that's how he's that's how he's taken sort of the the mainstream opinion of Bruno is that he's he's this guy coming out from the medieval mindset into the modern mindset mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's really he's really not you know like he, he, <clears throat> in, a, in a way you could say he's gone beyond the modern the modern mindset like he's um, he's so he's he's of course he's saying things like um, the whole idea that uh, the earth is at the center of the cosmos and that there's there's seven spheres, and then the uh, and then the fixed stars, and then and then the uh, the prime mobile, and then the imperium beyond that, like that that whole sort of Aristotelian kind of cosmos. He's saying, well, that's all bullshit, right? And that's what the that's what the scientist now sees on and say, ah, see, he's a he's a proto-modern thinker, right? But uh-huh. at the same time, he's saying, yes, there are infinite worlds, and he. Like he's way more advanced saying that than anyone else, right? Like the, the, yeah. That, um, but he said that there are infinite worlds, but they are all propelled by the soul, you know. Uh-huh. So at every point, matter is coupled with spirit. Um, right, right. Well, I believe, I agree with that. Um. So he, yeah, he's he's basically a uh, he's a pantheist um, before uh-huh. Spinoza, and this is. This is an essay that um, Joyce wrote on Bruno using using that guy McIntyre, that quote that I read from. Uh-huh. He he did a review. Joyce did a review for McIntyre's book on on Bruno, and that's a point that Joyce takes from this book is that people say that uh, Spinoza is the god intoxicated philosopher, really, but. He's saying, really, it goes that title should go to Bruno, you know, because even 
That's an interesting thing. Like even Spinoza, he tries to order it. He orders all of his arguments geometrically. Like he has this system of geometric reason. Um, and in a way, he sort of this is an this is sort of an argument against Spinoza is that he puts reason beyond be, beyond God. Yeah. Mm. So that God is sort of subject to reason, and that's even reflected in in. Uh, Spinoza's own books on philosophy. He tries to capture this geometric order in his in his philosophy texts. Um, so, so the problem with that is like it's not really God; it's reason that you're putting at the head of everything. Um, so, so Bruno's beyond that. He's he's saying it's matter, <laughs> you know, and that it's not it's not even um, matter as we. It is matter as we sense it, and that matter as we sense it is, is sort of actualized matter, but then actualized matter always sort of drifts back to potential matter. And um, so those are sort of the two levels for for, uh, for Bruno. So it's, it's, a, it's a complete pantheism, but it's a, it's a matter-based pantheism. Right. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, the, the potential for matter concept is very much in keeping with what I was talking about on that podcast, like that, you know, that potential is always kind of existing and, and it's the information underlying it that's describing that potential that ultimately manifests into, into matter, matter, like I said, matter is media. You know, it's, 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 yeah, yeah. Remember that's an expression. It's an expression of it, you know, of, of that potential, right? And so it's a, there, there's some kind of traversal maybe from the spirit to the, as the, as that traversal from spirit to matter occurs or, or that coupling maybe that maybe is eternal or maybe there's some way to, to, to unpeel it into, in like, you know, once again, another point I made is that our, you know, we always, for some reason we perceive phenomena in, in sequence, right? So, so you could consider like the spirit giving rise to the matter as a process, as a, as a linear process. Um, not necessarily su- suggesting that that's the only, um, state in which it exists, right? But, but we, we, we have that capacity to, to perceive it that way, which is, which is helpful, mm-hmm. right? Um, and, uh, yeah, so I mean that t- tying back to the potential idea is like that that that's what makes me uh, it makes me think of my thoughts surrounding there's just that this ether or whatever we want to call it is 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 this unpotentiated stuff whatever what, whatever name you want to give it a technical name or a mystical name whether it's information or spirit or whatever um <clears throat> and then and then as it transitions into the material world, um, it takes the form of what we would, what materialists would call matter. Right. And yeah, I'm just kind of rambling now, but, um, it just becomes, yeah, it becomes actualized in, in everyday forms of matter. And, and what's and that, that's also to my point about not necessarily being, uh, opposed to material, the materialist view, you know, I, I think it's just another instantiation of, I mean, it's, it's the extension and, and, and progression of our 
the human capacity to we perceive events in sequence. And so science, you know, just is continuing to to go down that path of perception and and the further down they they drill they you know they're finding well that's why quantum physics is so mystifying and so counterintuitive right because they mm. finally kind of gotten to that that primal layer where where our our idea of linear time and things happening in sequence and things one thing one particle being in only one place breaks down completely. Right. And, um, and so it, it, it almost ahead. seems like what's happening is, is their concepts are breaking down. Yeah, right. Exactly. Point. Like they're, exactly. they're looking, um, but it's not, it's not as if, uh, how, how can I put this? It's not as if they're discovering anything fundamental about the nature of matter. They're finding, something fundamental about the nature of their own scientific concepts. Yeah, absolutely. That, that, no, that, um, their concepts completely break down into, into nothing. And right. it may, it may be that that is the fundamental flaw of science, right? And I think this is what Berkeley is talking about, right? It's like, and Blake also, like the, this focus on the particular, you know, like the, um, everyday perception, um, individual everyday perception is all based on the on the particular right like it's it's not we don't there's no generalized abstraction in our perception we just like when we see this book on the table we're not thinking of the archetype of like the the form of book the platonic form of book we're just seeing this particular object that we happen to call a book right um, but but uh but science only deals in generalities and abstractions, right? Like it's um, so. Well, they, they 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 everything is is based on like they're always taking snapshots of of a, of a of a prior present, mm-hmm. right? And 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 assuming that that record that they've made that they're now from which they're extracting formula and chemical composition and everything. Um, that that they've abstracted our our actual the reality is is that we don't ever really experience present right where it's 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 this ephemerality of it is is impossible to grasp you know you it reminds me of just the comic routines of saying it's now and then it no no it was it, <laughs> no it's no it's now it's now you know and it's like it never is now it's always it's we it's it's weird that we have this we do perceive things linearly but that in itself is an abstraction like per, like awareness and consciousness is fluid right it's yeah it's, yeah so and i, Would, I, I mean, go ahead are you, are you saying the same thing that um it's basically the idea would be that that it's all now, you know, it's all now. Like we're, yeah, we're, we're sort of surfing on the edge of now, you know, constantly. Right. But right. This, I, like, like I've heard this idea like countless times where it's like, okay, you, um, your eyes take in a signal and it takes you a split micro fraction of a second for your brain to process it and, and whatever, right? Um, yeah. And so you're not actually in the moment, right? You're, you're sort of out of phase of the moment, just very, very slightly or whatever, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, but that's, 
that's the abstraction, you know. It's like, no, we're not. <laughs> what we what we experience at the moment is 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 the real, you know. It's like uh, there's there's no other real, you know. Um, so so it's like uh, this is. I think this is the major point Berkeley's making, you know. It's like um, science has to get more and more into perception, you know, and that and and maybe that's a problem because. Um, Science isn't science isn't really qualified to explore perception from the inside because perception is always singular, you know, singular from moment to moment right. to moment to moment, exactly. from person exactly. to person, organism to, to organism. Is, that's right? exactly what I'm talking about. Like we we we're we're, um, we're granularizing and atomizing the or, or or like your point to the particular, you know, we're particulating. The, the the this something that is actually fluid and and it's like it's like the difference between an analog and a digital waveform mm-hmm. you can you can endlessly zoom in on an analog waveform and the and the and the the beautiful curve never breaks down but if you analog if you zoom in close enough on a digital waveform eventually it's a stair step pattern right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Where, there, where there are these breaks and yeah, I mean, that's missing information Right. I mean, that's because digital audio is just a, literally a sampling of, of micro of, you know, nanoseconds in time. Yeah. And it's like a, it's like the equivalent of pixels, you know. It's like a <laughs> yeah. 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 Right. Uh, and. Uh, but at the same time, you know, it's still accurate. It, it's interesting that it's as an even though it's an approximation, it's still. Uh, sufficient in terms of like we 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 reached a fine enough level of approximation that we can't we can't tell the difference unless we magnify it somehow right um, because because our perception fills in the details right like uh, exactly exactly that, that happens with all of our senses but that's the thing like uh, we are constantly doing that anyways you know so right. it's it's like so so in a way. Digital is always analog, you know. Um, well, event, well, it has to be. That's the other yeah. thing is that um, when you when you play a digital file on a music player, it still goes through a converter that right, converts right. an analog signal. Right. You know, because you can't you can't it has to do that in order for it to be actualized into physical, you know, air. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. you know, so yeah, it's interesting, but. Um, I, I, I just, I just meant it more metaphorically than that. You know, it's like, uh, well, it's, both. it's both. Yeah. 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 And, and we do that. We, we, we fill in those gaps emotionally. We fill in those gaps, uh, literally. We've, you know, um, sensor, sense of sensorially sensibility. I don't even know what the sensitively, whatever the word is, you know, our senses. Um, well, basically sort of what it, what it comes down to is, is there there are no gaps you know there are absolutely no gaps you know there are no um, gaps. so the the uh, the idea of, of there being a gap is the abstraction you know right well and that's good. that that that's that discernment point right is that it's a survival mechanism to actually perceive the gaps or to perceive the figure from the ground even though there is no there is no actual separation like the nipple doesn't is not an isolated thing floating um 
as an island on the breast, it's connected to the rest of the skin. Right. <laughs> you, know? Yeah. you know. Yeah, yeah, that's it right. It, all, all, all distinctions create the gap, for sure. Yeah. Right. Right, but it's a the 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 capacity to distinguish and to discern is has has obviously benefited us greatly as a species, you know. And I mean, many any species. I mean, that's the whole like the the evolution of the eyeball. You can trace back to just some a very simple binary system that detects light or dark, right? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Yeah, just yeah, anything, anything with it, like fight or fight or flight, right? Like you, you need split second decision on what what a thing is. Like obviously, right. yes, we need to uh, differentiate things in our reality um, in order to survive. Yeah. Um, but even that, even that decision is gapless. You know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that yeah, it's 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 interesting again. So so I wonder um, future course of science, right? Um, is that the future of science? Is getting more and more into perception, you know, and more and more into singular perception? Like everybody's looking for the singularity, but we are the singularity, you know. It's it's um, the singularity is 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 this present moment. Um, I think that science has a rough ride ahead in the sense that, you know, I mean, this is my biggest complaint about science, especially popularization of science or like pop in, in media is, you know, they have they have tapped into poetics as as a vehicle through which to express their very complex ideas to a to a um a lay a lay audience mm-hmm. and um but in doing so they they're betraying in a way their own principles you know value judgments of those principles aside right they're they're it's just an act of self betrayal in a sense because the way in which that they are you know and, well and also just this idea of they're they're reliant they rely on language just as much as 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 literature does well, but, for sure yeah right and and yet language is this is this fluid thing that is is not does not hold up to scientific scrutiny in terms of its capacity yeah. for ambiguity right yeah so, that's the thing so i think um so if you're saying if 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 what you're saying is um yeah, by moving into poetic um, description of itself, science is betraying its own method. I would yeah. agree with that. Yeah, and then the opposite is true as well. Like you have somebody like Terence McKenna, whose whose worldview is is basically poetic, and yet he's yeah. he's sort of betraying himself by trying to uh, put it into scientific or or faux scientific terms. Well, that's what makes him so interesting. You know, is that he's in that kind of conflicted zone, right? Yeah. So I think that that's. Um, I don't. I. I. I think that is the limitation of science. It's like, um, like you have you have fuzzy mathematics, right? Fuzzy numbers, and mm-hmm. I think more and more it's going to find that 
reality is fuzzier and fuzzier. And what is more fu- what is more fuzzy than actual conversational language? <laughs> you know. Yeah, exactly. So that's that's what that's what it's going to turn to. You know. And then, and then at that point, science does turn into poetry. You know. Mm-hmm. It it does abandon its its old method and becomes poetic. It's going to have um, to. It's going to have to. I mean, so, how else? So, so people like Luke are, are going to be the uh, the future priests again, you know? <laughs> they'll, be the, they'll be the scientist priests. <laughs> yeah. And we just, um, I mean, just as an aside, that guy, my God, I don't know how he does it, his, his poetry. It's so good. <laughs> yeah, especially he does it off the cuff on the street. Like that's, that's, the most, that's the stuff of his that I admire the most, mm-hmm. are the little things he writes on the street. I mean, I don't know how he does it. And I've sat with him for hours uh, while he's working. And just to see the reactions that he gets, you know, it's it's beautiful. It really is. And, and I mean, I've seen him move people to tears. And it's just, yeah, man. I mean, no wonder he wants to be famous. He deserves to be. <laughs> yeah, I would, I would love to see him at work. I wasn't able to, to do that. Yeah, it's 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 a sight to be seen for sure. I mean, wow. But yeah, it's. I mean, getting back to it, it's like. Um, I think, and, and this 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 touches right upon this idea of, of of science relying on 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 language, you know. I mean, and this is this is very pedestrian, but it's but uh, this theory of everything uh, pursuits. In science, and and most of the most interesting scientists in that pursuit don't really even like that term. Mm-hmm. But it's like, how how can a theory of everything only uh, reside in the realm of physics and, yeah, and science? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Once, you know? yeah, by by saying that right from the start, you've already limited everything. <laughs> exactly. It's like, you know, emotions are part of everything. Yeah. Uh, love, love is part of everything yeah. and, 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 and hate and, and fear and, and, you just, know. just your own swirl of emotion and perception and memory and, and movement and everything that you're doing from, from second to second, you know, is, is everything, you know, and right. that, that there's no way to describe that through science like there's not even there's nothing even approaching that like there's there's um of course they they're studying the processes of the brain um and yeah. so on but it's it, to study that kind of fluid um uh what like i i guess it's 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 a phenomenology right like a um but uh you you can't you can't explore that through any sort of uh, application of the scientific method you know um because because it is so singular like you can i guess you can and and they do this you know like they they uh uh they can t- Take a huge sample of, of people and, and get their reactions in a certain way. The, the, the whole sort of behavioristic psychology of things, right? Um, and so yeah. they they can they can do that, you know. They they can sort of like obviously they can predict what you're going to do 
at a certain point to pretty good accuracy, right? But there's no way to get inside and be Wally, you know, at, at right. this moment, you know, like, um, and that is for certain. Elon Musk is certainly trying to make that real. I, I don't think he ever will, you know, because if, yeah. even if even if we succeed and even if even if I succeeded in doing that, like like jacking my consciousness into your your body and even your brain or whatever, right? It's still it's still my interpretation of it, you know. Yeah, and it's still my body. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, I think that's the the that's well that's the biggest. I mean, and, and AI development, um, which you know, I can, I'll spare you my, my tirade about that. But I mean, they have made great strides in terms of, of confronting that, that notion that, um, you can't, you can't simulate a mind, uh, dis, a disembodied mind with that and, and expect it to behave anything like anything resembling human intelligence. Yeah. This because, is, this is Penrose, right? Like I, I, yeah. I heard you. Talking about it. oh I didn't hear you I saw I saw you writing about right. that yeah um, yeah, it, yeah I, I've read front. I've read Penrose talking about that the impossibilities of AI for those reasons oh yeah well I mean I think that well my take is that AI is is just is is basically um always well AI is Atlantis it's 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 always existed along it's 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 a uh, it's it's abstraction you know it's it's as soon as as soon as we um externalize abstract uh, our capacity to of, of abstraction ai exists and so it's always existed and in, in, in my in my definition and i talked about this with eric McLuhan. like you you can trace the history of the concept of of um, uh, artificial intelligence all the way back to antiquity mm-hmm. and you you read if you if you assess or if you if you look at the the assessments of what such a thing would even be or what it would do or what it, what it would be capable of all throughout history that's always in, it's always a corollary to just what humans are capable of right mm-hmm. so like mm-hmm. Um, and so we keep it's a it's a carrot and stick kind of situation, right? Where we're where I mean, just in the last 50 years, you look at it and it's like, well, an, a, a, a successful um, art, art of, you know, a realization of artificial intelligence should be able to do, you know, should be able to play a game of chess and defeat a grandmaster. And we did that. Mm-hmm. And then so and as soon as we pass that point, it's like, well, we haven't invented AI yet because now we know it should be able to do this. And then we make it do. It has to, our, it has to beat you at Go. Yeah, yeah it has yeah. to beat you at Jeopardy. It has to understand yeah. natural language. And they did that. <laughs> and it's like, well, we don't have it yet. So we, they keep they keep nudging forward this uh, expectation of what AI is, not necessarily realizing that it's been there alongside us all along. And we just keep redefining what it and redefining its scope, you know, and Mm. so that's I mean, that's my take on it, you know, and 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 I don't I I see what Penrose means about it being impossible, but it's it's almost it's a it's semantics really it's like it's impossible and po- only because it's always been possible <laughs> it's, it's you know it's it's right. uh 
it's existed alongside us for as long as we've been able to abstract and, 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 and store that abstraction in some kind of medium. As soon as you, as soon as you, we externalize ourselves, our, our, our instincts or our, our ideas into, into some cultural artifact, be it another brain or an object or a symbol or whatever, or a word. Language. Uh, yeah, yeah. Language. Right? As soon as that happens, um, that's artificial intelligence as far as I'm concerned. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. but again, it's a semantic kind of loop. Yeah. Sometimes, um, sometimes that's danger. It, it, that's dangerous just to say, um, things are semantic, you know, that, that gets used often, but, uh, it it's usually the case. Well, this is semantics too, I guess. But it's usually the it's usually the case that um, um, the terms are different, right? Yes. Um, well, that's and that's the problem. That goes right back to our point about science relying on poetics, right? It's like they're they're mur- they're muddying their own waters, so to speak, in in, in reliance on this infinitely ambiguous system that we have of language, right? But I, I think I think they're muddying their waters because they're finding that the waters are muddy, <laughs> you know? Well put. You know, like that's that's why they're getting fuzzier and fuzzier with their with their math. And because yeah. um and more and more indeterminate and unpredictable because that's that's what it is. And basically they're looking I think they are getting closer and closer into this idea of uh, singular perception, you know? Like that's, um, I think that's what they'll find is the structure of matter. Like, um, but it, at that point, it, it makes no sense to even call it the structure of matter, you know? It's like, right. um, so then, yeah, so then at that, at that point, like I said before, it's like, then the bards come back into play, you know. <laughs> like, exactly. Oh, exactly. oh, you guys, uh, you didn't ha- haven't had a job for decades. Well, <laughs> we got a job right. for you now. <laughs> yeah, that's one of the underlying themes of uh, White Goddess too, right? Is like yeah, the, they the one. As far as I got through that book, I man, I really worked hard. Um, <clears throat> I got about halfway through it. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting. I mean, speaking of fuzzy and fuzziness and numbers and science constantly like, you know, wading through the, the mud of the water. The one guy, the one scientist I think who, who is actually are, you know, come closest to an articulation of, of this problem is Mandelbrot. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I don't know if you've ever looked into him much, but he's really worth some time to examine because, because, no, I only know it. Yeah, I only know him from the obvious, right? But right, right. But there's, there's he. Well, just his the story behind his uh, discovery of fractal mathematics is mm-hmm. a, is a good one to know about because, especially from people like ourselves, uh, to um, looking at how the discoveries that he made. Uh, finding noise and because that was that was actually his the the the, the kind of um, 
you know, the bug that bit him, he was doing, he was working, I think, for Bell Labs or IBM or one of these companies, and they were trying to be, he was, he was tasked with trying to find a predictive method to, uh, uh, uh to predict noise in signals. Mm. Mm. And that's, that was the germ of his fractal concept was actually when he analyzed, um, the, he, he noticed that, like, I'm going to paraphrase this poorly, but, uh, he took, he analyzed signals and started zooming in and zooming in and zooming in on them in terms of like the, the frequency of noise occurring in a signal and found a fractal kind of, uh, timeline, I guess. Mm. You, you know, he stretched it and he noticed that no matter how much you zoomed in, he kept finding these kind of dimensionless, uh, patterns, so to speak, you know, like kind of like the fine structure constant is this dimensionless unit, right? Mm. It, it, it does, you, you can measure no matter what your scale is or your, your measurement approach may be this one, three, one over one, three, seven, uh, ratio keeps emerging at yeah. any at any scale through any, on any dimension. Right. And he kept, and, and that's a kind of fractal concept too. Right. It's like, sure. Um, anyway, but yeah, he's, he, and the thing is, is it's, what's interesting is if you research the, the history of fractal mathematics, the, the, it's, it's this very fascinating and interesting and curious and intriguing thing. But the conclusion is at least from the, the more, scientific or materialist point of view is it like well it's just a neat thing to look at we don't really know how to apply it to anything (laughs) (laughs) i mean there's been a there's been a few examples like fractal antennas like in cell phones the they discovered that they mat they like by several orders of magnitude increased the receptive uh uh capacity of an antenna by by laying it out in a fractal pattern Mm. I See, I, w- I, w- I would have thought that they would find uses for it all over the place. Like, like what? What about like mm, solar panels or something like that? There must be. Uh, maybe you know. I mean, there, there, there have been there have been a few interesting applications in in or real world kind of practical applications. The other one is actually in radiology. Like they you in terms of, uh, I think it's like machine learning algorithms that they've used to read. Uh, like mammograms and, and stuff like that is somehow rooted in fractal math. Mm, I don't, mm, I, I'm not, it gets a little too technical for me to, to explain it beyond that. But, um, no, there have been a, there's, there's a handful of successful, the other thing is cartography, right? Um, mm. uh, and, sure, yeah. uh, measure, me- accurately measure completely Coast, ir- coastlines, coastlines and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Um, but yeah, I mean. So yeah, I I wonder. I really wonder when the when the gods are going to come back. You know, that's the uh, that's the big question for me. Is you when. Do you think they left? Well, they've left because we've forgotten about them. Is basically. We've abandoned them. Yeah. Great, I think. Great Pan is is uh, is dead. Um, there is certainly a void that is is. That in, in, in society today left by their absence and, and that is active, very, very, um, uh, not aggressively, but will just intensely being filled by all of these kind of, um, 
Well, I mean, that, that in terms of like our political climate that we, that exists today, you know, I feel like, um, there is a kind of, uh, where we're in this desperate state to fill this void that spirituality has always, you know, filled for us. And I, th- I think that people are, 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 are desperate to like find or, you know, apply themselves in a meaningful way and, and fill their, their lives with meaning, but they're also atheists and, and, and reject you know, that something spiritual could satisfy that. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, it's, it's almost like it's, uh, what we're missing out on is, is the full intensity of matter, even, you know? Like, uh, I just, I, I thought that the other day, just going on the beach, you know, and just, um, looking out over the, uh, the ocean and up at the, uh, sky and the clouds and, and just like thinking what, this experience would be to a culture or to an individual who who was part of a culture that believed that everything was filled with gods you know like you'd see right. the uh, you'd see the the clouds and the clouds wouldn't just be this this idea that we have now of of just basic vaporized water you know um like we think like that and they it, it, they don't really they're not meaningful to us but somebody from maybe a, like a primitive, we, we say primitive anyways, uh, mindset, it's it's like looking up these clouds and you see meaning reflected. You see a personality there, a personality that can interfere with your life and um, um, create good things for your life and maybe create evil things for your life. You know, it's right. like, and, and everything is like that. The sand is like that. The, uh, the water is like that. The, uh, the, <laughs> the rocks, um, even, even your clothing come from animals that, uh, have spirits in them. You know, the whole thing is just infused with meaning, you know, and that, that's a completely different way of, of thinking of the world. Right. You know? Well, part of perhaps the problem is, is that, that, you know, because of the success or the material success of something like the, the scientific method, uh, our, the, the fact that we, we quote unquote proved that clouds are, are water vapor, are, are just, you know, uh, a collection of vaporized water. Um, we took that as a, as a, um, with, you know, we, pr- we quote unquote proved that and therefore it's like, well, then we can replace our old, mystical definition now you know and it's like well you know not to negate the scientific assessment of what a cloud is but it's like that shouldn't necessitate replacing this more spiritual interpretation of it why why can't why can't we honor both and well well, but that's the thing also is like how how do we know like the primitive people would say of course it's it's rain you know <laughs> it, it, of right. course it's just like so they know that too like that's that's Blake's idea of double vision you know yeah, like, yeah yeah like of of course that's what the sun is you know um on yes. on one level but it's also the the hallelujah like, choir yeah exactly that the, the hallelujah place. choir of angels you know it's like yeah. a um, and that's that that that's exactly my point. And 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 not necessarily just because I believe in idealism doesn't negate my belief in materialism either. It's kind of let's 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 celebrate both, and let's and and in doing so find 
discover even more and and on both sides of that equation you know like well that's like, what you that's what you realize reading berkeley it's he's he's supposed to be one of the first philosophical idealists but he he was, he was a deep believer in matter but he, all yeah. he all he said was that matter is is always coupled with perception you know? right um, yeah so it's like that's a it's just a it's just a really radical view of of what matter is you know it's like matter is Matters coupled with perception, and it's entirely infused with living spirit, the gods, living plural spirits. You know, like right. a, um, it's I wonder it's radical though. I mean, it's there's a new, there's an inherent neutrality to that worldview. It's like you don't you're not you're not you're not siding necessarily with anything with any one view. You're 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 saying there it's a it's a spear that has no sides. Yeah, yeah, know? yeah, yeah. Right? What, yeah, neutrality in that sense, but in the, in the other sense, it's like, uh, it's just, it's, it's a roaring madhouse. <laughs> also, you know, like, like, like that's, it is, that's schizophrenia, right? Like, to, right. It, that's what we call schizophrenia in the, in this society, like a, a materialistic society. But it's, it's, it's exactly what you said. Like, so you have this split from the Renaissance where you have, Somebody like Bruno, who's able to see spirit and matter as being one, you know, mm-hmm. and then and then what happens is that spirit just it um, it becomes it becomes deism. So deism is like God is there, but it's somewhere beyond. And the main point of God is he's the clockmaker who winds up the clock and lets it run. And then eventually, it's like of course you're going to come to the point where it's like, well, how do we even know that that clockmaker is there at all? And then the eventual point of saying we don't need a clockmaker, you know, the, right. the universe just runs, it's just clockwork runs on its, on its own. And so what's happened is is spirit has been sucked out of matter completely, you know. Um, mm-hmm. So so it's not even matter anymore. It's like a pale reflection of of what we used to think of as matter. Like matters matter is the mother, you know. Matter is what matters. <laughs> you exactly. Know? You know. Awesome. Um, yep. 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 <laughs> but uh, but, <laughs> but we. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. So it, so I, I I think that's that's where things will head eventually is the gods will come back and this is what all the poets have been saying for for ages now you think it'll happen in our lifetime i um it's happened to me in on occasion you know where i've i i could feel it you know mm-hmm. so it's like uh me too. me too like i'm um like you, by that you mean, I, I guess, like the the whole society will realize that, or well, the apocalypse, I guess. Mm, the the revealing. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's what I love about the that that graphic novel Promethea is that it it build that's the kind of the climax is the is the apocalypse and they and they they Alan Moore uses. Uh, takes advantage of the the modern pers- uh, kind of misconception of what that term means, and you think that you're building up to this this kind of cataclysm um, or you know uh, or catastrophe, right? But but it ends up being the the ancient or the biblical sense of the term, right? The revelation. Revelation, yeah. 
and and the world does not get destroyed at all. <clears throat> so, yeah, what happened on two th- in twenty twelve? <laughs> right. Well, it seems yeah. that they were eight years off. <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe in the in the cataclysm way of thinking, but maybe not in the in the revelation way of thinking. Well, I think that. Um, do you remember that Alan Moore quote I read on the podcast about the, you know, the doubling of information? Yeah. Do you know that that's actually from, um, Cosmic Trigger? Um, okay. He, he quote, he quotes that almost exactly, if I can find that in Cosmic Trigger. But, um, uh, I'm sure he's read that. Yeah. If I can find, I'm just flipping through. I don't know where it is, but, uh, but it's actually from a uh, French statistician where um, where uh, Robert Anton Wilson gets it. Okay. Um, so. Well, I mean, my, my opinion is that, and this is also, God, I keep coming back to stuff I said on that podcast, but, you know, we've crossed a threshold uh, in terms of just the amount of kind of inter the bandwidth that now exists between individual each individual person alive today in terms of the, the, the technology has provided has has opened the you know the levee has broken in terms of uh, now we are you know it's another flood myth right I've talked about I probably mentioned that to you before but like I had this theory you know this speculative theory of um you know several millennia from now if uh you know Art, um, anthropologists or aliens or whatever were to examine artifacts left over from this period talking about the digital age, um, they would interpret, they're like, oh, we found another flood myth. You know, <laughs> it's like, cause we're in a, we're, we're, we're the, 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 the figurative levy has broken in terms of just the, the amount of information, uh, that is being transferred, uh, is, I mean, you, it's like a pipe works. I mean, it's just, it's, it's staggering. And we're seeing this, the, the effect of that on, on, our, on society, like why it's, 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 uh, it's, it's, re- it's retrieved in a McLuhan sense, you know, the tribalism of, of the past. And, and like I said, maybe this is a, this is a bump in the road uh, as we develop through our, technological and spiritual adolescence, you know, that we just have, like, we have to wade in this mess, this muddied water, so to speak, of, of culture, really. Mm. Yeah. I, um, yeah. When I was listening to you guys talk about that, uh, I was also thinking about, okay, so we have this, um, this idea of the doubling of information, right? Yeah. And, and it, yeah, for sure, everybody realizes that there's more and more information, so-called, like more and more new things, right? But, but, uh, there, uh, there, there isn't, um, uh, sorry, I'm trying to do two things at once. Um, there isn't, uh, there isn't the same sort of, um, quality of novelty all the time like like the creation right. of of the wheel or whatever right like that's that's a huge breakthrough right um and so and or or just 
inventions um, as they go along, like just just basic inventions like that, you know. Um, right. But we're not the the new information that's coming out at the moment now all the time. It's like um, it's new, I guess, but it's not at that level. It's not fundamental, you know. It's like yes. no, um, most of it, it's it's all rehashed. It's all just recyclables, you know. It's all just so. So is that is that actually information in that sense? Isn't that a sort of um, redundancy in a way? You know. It's, yeah, it's it is redundant. It's it's mostly redundancy. So so then, is there really this doubling of information, or is it just the doubling of redundancy? You know, it's like a so we. Let's see. <laughs> we 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 get swamped with with all of this so-called new stuff, but it's not it's not useful. It's not information, right? In the in the true sense of it being novel, you know. Right. Right. Um, so it's um, so it's the illusion of the doubling of information. That's a that's a that's a good point, and I mean I think they're they're. There's some novelty hiding in there somewhere, like at a, in very tiny amounts. But yeah, no, that's that's an excellent point. Uh, okay, I've, I've found um, the Robert Anton Wilson thing, which totally meshes onto this, right? So, um, so he calls it the jumping Jesus phenomenon. Um, <laughs> so. So our psychic universe is expanding even more rapidly than the physical universe. Let us define the measurement of known scientific facts in the year one as one Jesus, using the name of the celebrated philosopher born that year. Uh, so he's, he's just arbitrarily starting at uh, one, yeah. you know, one AD. Um, before going any further, let us ask how long it took to arrive at one Jesus, one way of estimating is to take the estimated age of Homo sapiens, in which case it took 40,000 to 100,000 years. How long did it take to double this accumulation of knowledge to achieve two Jesuses? It required right. 150, uh, sorry, 1,500 years until yep. 1500 AD. How long did it take to double again and obtain four Jesuses? It required 250 years, and we get we had four Jesuses in our larder by 1750. Next doubling took place 150 years, and by 1900 AD, humanity had eight Jesuses in our information account. The next doubling took 50 years. Um, 1950, we had 16 Jesuses. Next 10 years, by 1960, we had 32. Next doubling took seven years. By 67, we had 64 Jesuses. Next doubling took six years. By 1973, we had 128 Jesuses. Um, there's no reason to imagine that the acceleration had stopped. Thus, we almost certainly reached 256J around 1978-79 and 512J in 1982. In short, we are living in a mental transformation space that is an omni-dimensional halo expanding towards infinity in all directions. And the electronic center of this halo of mentation is possibly everywhere. It is available to you right where you're sitting now. Just plug in a terminal. A terminal. The machine doesn't care who or what you are. Yeah, uh, there you go. But but that's the thing, right? Like it's like, are, do we have a whole Jesus coming? <laughs> like it's it's a it's a bunch of uh, 
Yeah, it's a bunch of noise and re- redundancy, but is well, it's it? Like, uh, it makes me think of you know the if you the noise introduced every time you make a copy, right? Mm-hmm. And 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 yeah, talking about duplication, right? And so every act of duplication is is and but it's also you're 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 you have a redundancy of Jesus's, right? So, mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's, it's, I mean, he's kind of making your point at this, but not even, maybe not even aware of it. It's true. He is kind of asserting that this is all novelty or it's all, it's all these, these Jesus, each new successive Jesus or, or pair or, you know, powers of two or whatever you want to call it is, uh, is novel, but, but he uses, he keeps using the same name at the same time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like um, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, but McKenna is doing the same thing, right? Like he he's saying that uh, towards as we get towards 2012, in his view, it's like we're going to go through the same amount of novelty as whatever he said, like the the huge compressed period from from the the time of Rome to the medieval period or something like the um like that. The period just gets more and more and more compressed, right? Yeah. Um, but obviously that's not happening. You know, it's like we're not we're not inventing um, just civilization um, shaking inventions constantly. We're not we're not doing like we we come up with different well, versions of the iPhone every year. You know, but yeah, that's, but, but the first iPhone was. I would argue was definitely a civilization shaking invention. I mean, putting a putting a supercomputer that's connected to a worldwide network in the pocket of two billion people—that's a big deal. Yeah, yeah. Um, although it it it's it's just it's it's not continuing to happen at that level all the time. You know, it's like. Um, no, I mean it's now. I mean the effects that it's had on our society are are clear as day now. Like it's 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 old news that we exist in this crazy hyperconnected world, and there's so many uh, adverse effects that it's had on us. You know, that's that's we've been talking about that. You know, since 2010. I mean, yeah. Yeah, for sure. It's it's not though that um, every year we're coming up with no, a no. complete paradigm changing invention like no. that. Um, no, I mean I'd say that the the smartphone and social media are the two biggest things in our in our lifetimes. I would yeah, say. I mean, maybe yeah, the internet yeah. itself, but I think that the internet for its during you know for its early early years was you know, the marketing for it made it sound like what it is today, not necessarily what it was then, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's but, right. Like the idealistic period. <laughs> right. Exactly. And, and more and more, I find myself repelled by it. And, and yeah, me, me too. Almost like aside from things like this, like what we're doing exactly, right now, exactly. you know? Yeah. Um, I mean, I would never, I would never, we wouldn't be talking right now if it wasn't for yeah, the internet. Yeah, exactly. Well, we know each other. The civilization would have fallen apart from the coronavirus pandemic if it wasn't for the internet. Yeah. You know, like, like imagine trying to deal with this situation, worldwide pandemic in the 80s or something, you know? Well, they did it in the, with the Spanish flu in the 1910s and they yeah. managed. I, I, yeah, I guess you could, you know, um, at the level of complexity, 
um, that things are now could. Like how I mean, many, in some like, ways, you could say the internet has 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 either exacerbated the problem of coronavirus or exaggerated it. I mean, depending on you know, there's there's obviously tons of conspiracy theories and out there, and people thinking you know David Ike on going around saying it's all a hoax and yeah and, yeah yeah. So even even aside from that though, it's like a um, so yeah, just bracket that part, you know, that maybe it's a hoax, although it's hard, you know, you can't bracket any of this, right? But, uh, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, uh, if, if you do bracket that and just look at the, um, it's similar to the idea of that, um, the depression in the 30s, the huge Great Depression in the 30s, um, people were able to cope with that because, most of the, most of the people at that time were still agrarian. They're still farmers, basically, right? Yeah. And so they yeah. and even people that weren't um, knew how to grow grow a garden, and they had land to grow a garden on, you know. Um, whereas if that happened again now, you know, we'd be uh, I, there'd be a f- like food riots like all over the place, you know. It's like a right. Um, so it's a similar thing, like. Uh, um, like the, at the level of complexity that we are now in as a society, um, if we didn't have the internet, um, like so many people, you wouldn't you wouldn't be able to go to work, you know. If if you, it just I guess it just wouldn't be possible to have lockdown as a response for it, you know. Right. But I suppose it's uh, yeah. I suppose they're doing it in places like India, which aren't as complex, you know. Um, so, yeah. Well, India's well, yeah. I guess parts of India. Um, but yeah, I don't. Sorry, I got I got distracted for a minute. Um, yeah, it's hard to say. I mean, I the the internet. It's uh, I I miss what the like. I feel like. I, I, on one of these podcasts, I talked about this, but basically, like, the internet sucks now, you know, in general. It's like, it does, it, used to, it does, it, yeah, it, yeah. It used to be so vibrant and, and there was that Wild West quality to it, and it, it used to be everything was free, you know, it's like, uh, I, everything. I just, I just remember year by year, it was getting better and better and better, like, everything was getting, like, uh, yeah. Yeah, um, and now it's it's just getting worse and worse and worse, you know. Like uh, it, it, more and more paywalls and and uh, inability to, to like I hardly I, I can't see news anymore almost, you know. It's no. like it, <laughs> all news is just is playing the same game, the 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 same attention and engagement game that that social media is playing. It's just, I mean, I, I can barely stomach the New York Times anymore. It's just so. Okay, it's just, just talking to a friend of mine about that today, like Washington Post and New York Times have just become tabloids. Yeah. And, and, and the worst is, is like they, for years, they, while they, you know, in the early stages of them transitioning into that model, I was, I was completely on board. I was like, yeah, this is just, uh, you know, I'll take some more worldview reinforcement. Thank you. You know, like, and it's, but, and, you know, I was being duped and I think it's funny, like, these this these algorithms are so smart that they are and so effective that 
they can target the very people who are the most uh, resilient to that type of manipulation, you mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. and and because I always fancied myself someone who was who was, you know, uh, um, smart enough or just or or just um, discriminant enough to to know when I was being manipulated like that and not fall for it. But man, some those people, it turns out, are some of the easiest to manipulate. It's like, according me with these new tools, it's it's remarkable. Yeah. That's yeah, why yeah. I that's why I forced myself to get to get off social media because it's just like, man, this is these guys really know how to push my buttons in ways that I I I'm powerless to, you know. Right. At least that's how I feel. And the only power I have is to just turn it off, you know, because mm, mm. it's so alluring in that in that kind of way. Well, yeah, Facebook is a perfect word for it. You know, it's just it's superficial, <laughs> you know, exactly. <laughs> face value. Um, and it, yeah, that's it. It's like an an envy producing machine or something. It is. Exactly. That was one of my biggest problems. Or, or have you ever. My mom once told me uh, the difference between jealousy and envy. Mm. If you're more with that distinction, I hadn't, I, I never, I always use the words interchangeably, but there's a very specific dis, uh, difference. Yeah, I know. I've heard the distinction, and I'm, I'm, I was going to make a distinction, but I, I think what I'm, uh, what I. Um, I'm going to say is not correct. Like I, I was going to say that jealousy is towards people, you know, uh-huh. envious towards objects, possessions. But I, uh, I think there's, I think there's a clearer distinction than that even. Yeah. So what, what she told me is that jealousy or, or um, envy is specific to something. The object, what the object be it a person or a thing or whatever. The object of your envy is something that it's impossible for you to have. Mm. And, and jealousy is for something that there's is possible for you to have. So like penis oh, envy, yeah. right? huh. penis envy is, is something that a woman has because it's impossible. Now it's possible, <laughs> but, <laughs> but, uh, but you know what I mean? Like, so no, 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 it would be penis jealousy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But I was like, wow, that's, I, yeah, that, that's good. Usually, usually it, it works like that with words, right? Like, um, yeah. there are, there are very clear Aristotelian sort of breakdowns of, of words. Cause that, yeah. that's all they did in the Middle Ages, like the scholastics, like find out right. the exact meaning of words, clear and distinct meaning of words. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, that's it. That's a good, you know, that's, that's perfect. That's a good one. Yeah, uh, I love it. Because it, that's it's probably even defined like that in theology. That's probably where it comes from. Exactly. Definition, right. you know. Sin, right? Yeah. Yeah. So which would be worse as a sin? Um, oh, well, envy, jealousy is not a sin. Envy is. And it's, Jeal- it's, jealousy it's, is not a sin. Are you sure? Well, I mean, in terms of in terms of the seven deadly sins. Right. It's, okay. It's envy, right? And I think that that's to your point. I think that they were making a very clear distinction between. Well, there's then there's thou shall not covet. I wonder what covet wife. Is, yeah. Right. Because covet. Oh, let's see here. Let's look at Wiktionary, my favorite website. Covet. Or. or uh, um. Presumably modified. Okay. Wait. 
to wish for with eagerness to desire the desire possession of often enviously uh-huh to long for inordinately or unlawfully to hanker after to yearn to have or indulge in an inordinate desire especially for another's possession well that's so it's both it, according to these definitions i mean you can have someone else's possessions by stealing it or by purchasing it or trading it right um <coughs> So I'm, I'm looking at the uh, etymological dictionary. There you it go. Says, um, mid 13th century to desire or wish in order inordinately, or without regard for the rights of others. Um, from the French, covet, desire, lust after. Uh, connected probably ultimately from Latin, cupiditus. Yeah, yeah. Passionate desire, eagerness. Ambition. So there's the God. There's Cupid. Cupid. Yeah, yeah. 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 Behind every word, there's a God. Um, oh, indeed, there is. So the desire or wish to desire to obtain or possess. But let's see. Uh, let's try these words: envy and jealousy. Um, okay, envy, envious of. I'd be curious to just Google envy versus jealousy. Yeah, here we go. Envy means discontented longing for someone else's advantages. Jealousy means unpleasant suspicion or apprehension of rivalship. Envy is most often used to refer to a covetous feeling toward another person's attributes, possessions, or stature in life. Many people use jealous to mean the same thing. Interesting. Well, here's, they they give a, a distinction here too. Jealousy is the feeling which is often had towards a rival or possible rival for the possession of that which we greatly desire as in love or ambition. Envy is a similar feeling toward one, whether rival or not, who already possesses that which we greatly desire. Jealousy is enmity prompted by fear, Envy is enmity prompted by covetousness. It's interesting. So, yeah. uh, so jealousy, jealousy is more personal then in this in this definition. Yeah. I like my mom's version. Yeah, I do too. I, I, I haven't heard that before, but that makes sense. I'm be fun. But these are all really interesting too. Like it's 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 even more uh, nuanced in some of these. Um, here's a question about jealousy of sin. What does the Bible say about jealousy? Surely resentment destroys the fool. Jealousy kills the simple. Hmm. Do not let your heart envy sinners, but always be zealous for the fear of God. Okay, so. 
Yeah, I think it's I think it is classified as a sin as well. But I don't know I don't know how they're using it. If they're just using it synonymously with envy. I mean, it's often um, used interchangeably, and that that was the whole point of my mom. Uh, or it's you know they're conflated into one definition, right? But which is why my mom told me that. Um, I think, I think she's probably right. Like that sounds very. Yeah, I thought it was a great point. I mean, as soon as she mentioned it to me, I'm like, oh, yeah, that sounds completely obvious now that you mention it. Especially in the context of, like, when she mentioned, she's like, think about penis envy, right? That's something that's impossible for a woman to have. And so that's why it's envy, not penis jealousy, right? And jealousy is, I mean, we get, like... To, the whole reason we brought this up is you were saying it's an en- Facebook is an envy machine or an envy generator, and it's like absolute envy and jealousy. You know, mm-hmm, it, it, mm-hmm. It, it stirs both of them in in their distinct forms, right? Because um, that was a real problem for me on Facebook is like how even knowing that like these people are probably you know uh, manipulating their own how they're projecting themselves out into the world. We all know that, that, that there's like, there's great examples of like some artists have done paintings or or whatever, where they show someone taking a selfie and, but then they show what's happening outside of the frame, you know, and like what they're managing to get into the frame of the selfie has been manicured and and curated to look perfect. And as soon as you get beyond that border, they're, they're living in hell. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. Here's one. Here's a, uh, the Bible.org jealousy versus envy. There is a distinction between jealousy and envy to envy is to want something which belongs to another person. You shall not covet your neighbor's horse, his wife, or his servant, his ox, or his donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. In contrast, jealousy is the fear that something which we possess will be taken away by another person. Oh, whoa. That makes sense, too, though. Although jealousy can apply to our jobs, our possessions, our reputations, the word more often refers to it. Anxiety, which comes when we are afraid that the affections of a loved one might be lost to a rival. We uh-huh. fear, yeah, this, this actually makes a lot of sense. We fear that our mates or perhaps our children will be lured away by some other person who, when compared to us, seems to be attractive, capable, and successful. That makes a lot of sense. And that's a much more like when you're being a jealous boyfriend or something, right? Right. Yeah, that's, oh, that makes perfect sense. That's yeah. really good. Yeah, I like that. So yeah, I think that's I think this is pretty clear. Yeah, so the, in in that sense, then it's not um, Facebook would be envy and not jealousy, according to this. Right. Because you're not afraid of losing anything through uh, anything that you already have through Facebook. You're you're envious of the things that other people seem to have that you don't have. Right. Uh, but yeah, in, in either case, so it's like, a, yeah. 
driven by fear, I guess. Well, what? Yeah, <laughs> you can always trace most things back to that or the opposite. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. See if uh, yeah. How Facebook works, of course, is that you do, you you never you never post anything when you're feeling bad, <laughs> you know? right. unless well, it, unless it's sort of a righteous anger that you want people to. Uh, um, yeah, I would I would argue <laughs> lots of people post when they're feeling bad. I mean, I, I mean, um, yeah, I shouldn't say it, I shouldn't put it that way, right? Like, yeah, people want sympathy or they want, yeah, they want or people. Or they virtue signal. They, yeah, or they want people to feel angry with them or, yeah. but um, they don't post when, let's see, uh, yeah, they don't post when, uh, like, uh, when you're truly bored, you know, <laughs> like if you're yeah. truly, like if you're, if you're truly bored, you're not going to post, um, I'm something truly bored. on, yeah, you're not going to say that on Facebook because even going on Facebook, you're, you're looking for a way out of it. <laughs> right, exactly. Um, so, but in that, in that state, which we, are normally at it's not only boredom it's just discomfort and everything else you know um right you're not going to post something about that no like even even even, yeah no problem even in those um even in those times when uh somebody posts something they're feeling sad or whatever and they post something on on facebook saying that they're sad and then everybody chimes in, says, "Oh, uh, I can help you out," and blah blah blah, whatever. Um, even that um, provokes envy. <laughs> you know? so, mm-hmm. Wow! I wish people were as, as sympathetic to my own problems. Mm-hmm. You know? Or, mm-hmm. or wow! I wish I could even express my own problems like that guy did. Right. Well, wow, I wish that I had this outpouring of sympathy when I felt like this. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I wish I could get the same amount of sympathy. Well, I posted I was sad and only got two comments and one like. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you get, you get, I, <laughs> I go crazy with it too. I think everybody does, you know, it's like, um. It's only natural. I, uh, I said happy birthday to my uncle and, a comment about something that he posted or something. And tons of people said happy birthday to him as well. Um, with everybody else, he individually replied and said thank you and made a little comment. And with mine, he uh, he just gave the thumbs up sign. <laughs> you know, I was like, oh, oh, yeah. what's he trying to say? <laughs> you know, <It's> like, maybe... <laughs> Like, is he trying to get back at me for thumb, giving him the thumbs up about something before? Or it's it's crazy thinking, though. You know, like to mm-hmm. to think like that. Um. <laughs> it's such a waste of mental energy, too. It's like, <laughs> I know, I know. But yeah, yeah it's, it's something like that. It's inevitable. 
Yeah, it's bad. But I've been so tempted so many times to come back. Because when you leave, you disappear. People are like, no, where are you? What, but how am I supposed to talk to you? Uh, <laughs> let me make a list of like nine million other methods that are just as easy, if not. But then, but then you become a, a rare Pokemon. So that's right. a good thing. <laughs> there you go. But, you know, it's funny, like, I was bemoaning this with Luke a while back. Um, I was reading a book that he recommended, the the collected letters of Prin and Charles Olson. Oh, I really want to. Yeah, that's a, that's the one I keep forgetting, but I, I get older that one. It's amazing. Yeah. But I was just saying, God, you know, I feel bad for Prin because he puts so much of his soul into these letters. And Charles responds just kind of like, thanks for writing. See you later. Oh, look forward <laughs> to the next one, you know, or whatever. <laughs> uh, but also just. You know, I love I have several different collections of correspondence from various people, and it's it's one of the best ways to get at the heart of their ideas, to hear them, mm. discussing, you know, to get to hear them developing them and 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 arguing about them in a more in a slightly more casual format. Uh, it's actually, for me, easier to process than their formal writing sometimes. Sure. Uh, yeah. And uh, but I was just generally just like, God. You know, why can't I have this level of correspondence with someone? You know, I would love that. Like, this is, I'm, I'm envious reading these things, just wanting to have that. Like, I can't believe the effort would, that these people would put into these letters that would take long, much longer to reach people. And it's like, we live in a world where this is so simplified and, and convenient and no one does this. And But I was like, oh, wait a minute. We do do this. But we'll only do it. We we, will only do it today if it's going to be shown publicly. And it's almost like now I'm only willing to put in that level of effort if I can benefit, you know, if it somehow increases my standing in my social network. You know, it's like I want my letters published as I'm writing them. Damn it. You know what I mean? Yeah, but we also have like. Hour-long Skype conversations. Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. No, like that, this is kind of the uh, this is kind of the equivalent in a way, you know. No, that's true. Um, we publish those. No, that's yeah, we, true. Yeah, we do. Yeah, we um, yeah, we don't Fair need point. to. We don't need to. We don't need to publish them. Like, there's no, there's no. Uh, like, I think with with your example, yeah, um, that's that's true too. Like, you don't want to waste time communicating just to one person for that long right um i think that's actually how i started my blog is i I was sending email back and forth to people and i was like why why am i doing this all the time (laughs) i just start a blog Um, exactly no and i think that's the thing it's like i can i can get my 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 complete correspondence published in real time yeah I don't have to wait till after I'm dead and anyone cares. <laughs> I can make them care right now. Right? But yeah. <coughs> it was but, certainly a feeling I was having being uh being off social media too. It's just like, oh, where's this where's this interaction, you know? <clears throat> but yeah, yeah, that's it's true though, if you think of it, um 
printing also wouldn't be able to do this, you know, like just talk to each other for hours on the telephone. It'd be exactly. uh, that it's way too expensive to do it, you know, like, yeah. Oh. Yeah. I love Prin, man. He, I'm so glad. I yeah. Guess he was yeah. That turned me on to him. Mm-hmm. That, guy is, that guy's amazing. You've got his big yellow book. I do. Yeah, yeah. I, I read, I read through the whole thing. <laughs> wow. Um, I don't know, like how much did I, how much did I retain of it, you know? But I, I made a lot of notes as I went through. So, but uh, um, I think I, I, I think doing that, going through, which is it's chronological, right? So, so you you do start to see some development of of language and style and uh, images and symbols, I guess. Um, and start to pick out threads of what he's talking about. Um, his, uh, I think there's about, what is it, like three prose pieces in that whole book, you know? The big uh-huh. prose pieces, which um, to me, it, they really help to sort of uh, break down some of his poems. Hmm. Um, well, I haven't I've read the prose pieces yet. I'll, I'll look for those. Yeah, he's got one on... Uh, uh, one on plants, you know, and then the the famous one about the dreamboat kazoos. I think that's prose. That's his last one. Mm. Uh, he's got another, I think, somewhere. Uh, spacing it. Could whip that book out. I wanted to. Um, I wanted to do a uh, a reading of dreamboat kazoos with with Luke. Um, but he uh, he thought it was just too much. How, like, too much work. I mean, what I wanted to do is I wanted to uh, read it together um, and record a conversation and then try to interpret it in real time together. Oh, and wow. And use that as a, like a podcast or something. I'll do it with you, and then we can make him envious. <laughs> <laughs> no, we, we could all do it together. He 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 wants to do. He wants to get famous, and so we, we could do that. I, I think that's that's, no, that's a that's a surefire way to get famous. Reading. <laughs> <laughs> like I think that I think that would be a great idea, right? Yeah, I love doing stuff like that. Like it it would be it would be real time research, you know, real time spontaneous research, and just throwing ideas off of each other and trying to work something so, out. Absolutely. No, I love doing that. Yeah, I mean, I'd be open to doing that with other stuff as well. Um, I mean, yeah, you have these things like uh, book club or whatever, but usually that's, well, it's it's normally always you read the book on your own and then you come back and you talk about it. Um, what would be interesting is to do that in video format and actually, like, do a screen capture of stuff you may, like, be looking up. You have the text there uh, that you're reading. Uh, you can, you know, annotate live. Um, I mean, could, yeah, we could uh, we could we could get to that level, I suppose. Because that would be really engaging to have a that visual component, and 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 just to see, like, if you're doing real time research, you know, just to see the actual research happening and unfolding, because that would add such an that would add the the another layer of um, realism and just like 
because because the audio format's one thing, but you know we all we're all using our eyes while we're talking, aren't we? Mm-hmm. Hmm. Well, it's Maybe. kind of yeah. It's like we've we're sort of doing it tonight a little bit, like looking up envy and jealousy and um, yeah, yeah, me screen sharing with you and showing you my stuff and yeah. I say I think we could start out audio. Like the yeah. only problem with video is that it's like uh. Well, I, yeah, I guess you could put it out in the same way, you know, put it on YouTube or whatever. But uh, um, we could do both. You could have video and audio versions. Yeah. I say just start simple first, and just the three of sure. us do it audio and uh, in real time, and try to figure it out. Yeah, leave it to me to get ambitious from day one. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's good. Eh? <laughs> good to have dreams. That's my ammo. I mean, I'm I'm trying to make a fucking TV show as a complete without any experience whatsoever. So, you know, that's my style. Well, Alan's doing something similar. He's trying to do a a, a video game without any experience. There you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I've been. Uh, he and I talked about that the other day. It looks really cool. I love. He showed me his example of the one of the the game levels. Uh, traversing a couple pages of your book. Yeah, yeah. So he um, he probably talked to you about doing the music or something, or or, trying, or helping him with the music. Or? Uh, I volunteered. Um, I told him that I would help in the music and the the sound effects, especially like because that's I mean that's the other half of the audio, right? Right, but, right. And I do all of that all day. Would would you be willing to do that, like in in your in your off time, doing yes. the same kind of stuff? Yeah, I told him I would. Um, I guess it would be different, would it? Because you would have total freedom, I suppose. Yes and no. I mean, it would be. I would apply. I would apply the same methods and techniques. It would just. I would just adjust to the style in which I'm working. So. But would it be more fun or? Um, I don't well define fun. You know, to, to, <laughs> I mean, to the point you, I was you, making about my job. Yeah, it would be fun. It would be fun but, because I'm doing it for a friend. That's what would be fun about it. Um, well, okay. Would it be uh, would it be more fulfilling because it's more creative? Potentially, yeah. Yeah. I mean, but but that you know, I I find one of my favorite things to do in my job is is to take on the challenge of working in a, in a style or a format or whatever that is just feels really foreign to me that mm-hmm. I have and doing all the research and listen and, 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 and finding archetypal examples of a style. And so I can really internalize what it means or how it works and what makes it, what are it's the signifiers of its style, you know, um, and, and and that's what you get to do now with your job. Yeah. Oh, that's good. That's great. Like, no, I I only said that because I um because I remember you saying that you felt that you hadn't done any creative music for quite a oh, long yeah. time. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. It's well, I haven't. And and. But that sounds that sounds creative. What you're just describing. Yeah, it is creative, and I mean, I guess personal music is maybe a better way to put it, because mm-hmm. uh, obviously I'm creative in my job, but um, 
No, I, I just, well, I haven't had the desire to make personal music. Mm. And um, mainly because my creative energy has just shifted in terms of medium. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't, it's not that it, like not having the desire to make creative personal music does not necessarily negate the desire to be creative in general. And I still, uh, I mean, that's why I'm doing this writing right now and, mm, and mm, mm. make graphics mainly because these are ideas I've always wanted to express and felt that <laughs> it was too expressing them musically. It for, for me personally, it, it, it's, it, it, it's too opaque, you know, like that, that band secret chiefs three, I probably mm. mentioned to you. Yeah, he, yeah. He, I is extremely deep in all of these topics of esoterics and all of that, like, whoa, like heavy duty. Um, and he, and, you know, he imbues all of his music. I mean, he fills it with that type of stuff, but it's so, it's very obscured. Like I, like, I don't hear like just as, like like listening to Schoenberg. I I I don't listen to it constantly checking that he's permutating his twelve tone row in retrograde <laughs> version or whatever. You can't. Who can? You have to sit down with the score and fastidiously and meticulously analyze it to just discover that that aspect of its structure. And that's what a lot of music academes spend their careers doing. And it, to me, that's tedious and not and 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 too far removed from what. I love about music, which is a more visceral. Um, I mean, I enjoy intellectualism in music, obviously, but that stuff that I showed you—the mirth, the really more atonal mirthcon stuff—to mm -hmm. me, that's pure viscerality. Like that's me just—that's my abstract expression, expressionism. You know, I'm just—I I wrote that music completely intuitively. There's no underlying you know elaborate academic system underpinning it it's just me writing what i think sounds interesting yeah it yeah. doesn't seem formal you know it seems like i said it evokes a mood for me a particular type of mood which is which is visceral right mm -hmm. um so there yeah, were some, i mean there was definitely formal pro uh, uh techniques or inf i mean the the one that you said reminded you of that out of lunch uh, out to lunch album mm -hmm. that whole opening section uh where it's just like the sax it's all of this like almost kind of chaotic stuff or not chaotic but just almost sounds improvisational it's not it's fully composed but the whole the whole opening minute or so that piece was i had i took um I created all these little cells of ideas, musical ideas, and then I mapped out like musical parameters into little groups, like dynamic levels, like, you know, pianissimo, fortissimo. Um, and I just, I just wrote down a list of them. I wrote down a list of saxophone extended techniques, like different ways of, you know, or, or like unorthodox methods of generating sound on the instrument. I just made a list of those. And I had a bunch of these little music, very brief little musical figures. I made a list of those and then I rolled dice hmm. and, and then, and be like, okay, the first two seconds are going to be this at this loudness level. And I would use dice rolls. This is a cage, a John Cage technique, um, to just to 
and so I used I used chance to determine. I mean, from a from a limited set of possibilities, right? But that's how I constructed that whole introduction. Um, and so for every, because like when when you when you notate music, you've got to write what are the, what's the pitch, what's the rhythm, what's the what's the instrument that's playing it, what's the mm-hmm. tempo, what's the all of these parameters, and um, Cage came up with a, a, a system where he would use either I Ching or rolling dice or, you know, some kind of external chance operation to make these choices for him, um, often still based on a limited set of, of choices. Uh, he would create these arrays of choices and then he would pick one based on or he would let some chance operation choose from among those arrays, and then he would say, all right, so this first note is going to be C sharp, and it's going to be on the violin, and whatever, you know, all of those those decisions were externally uh, made. And <clears throat> the exact opposite of that is a guy like Pierre Boulez or Stockhausen, I sent you some of them, um, they took Schoenberg's idea of, Schoenberg did this with just notes, with pitches, and that's the whole twelve tone row, right? He mm. would create, he would order the series of pitches, um, in some, all twelve pitches in in a sequence, and that sequence would then generate a grid of the the um, different transpositions of that, and and then you and he would use that as the basis of what pitches were used in his piece, or in what order they would appear, mm. right? Um, and Boulez and Stockhausen and, and others took that concept and, and took it to a, an extreme where they not only had rows of pitches, they had rows of dynamic levels. They had rows of articulations. They had mm. rows of timbres. They had rows of which register in the instrument's range it would fall in. Um, all of these things. And, and that's what's called. So Schoenberg invented. Like his his style was called serialism, mm. and then Boulez and Stockhausen and others like them, uh, their version was called total serialism, where every musical parameter was governed governed with this type of serialist method, right? Wow, interesting. Yeah, and Cage came, you know, came came around. He's like, hey, I I've created the same insane sounding music by just <laughs> through consultations of the I Ching, you know, <laughs> it's like, you know, he just, he didn't create, um, cause, cause each one of these types of pieces in the serialist method, you would, you would define your row, you know, which was, which was the germ that you would then develop through the systematically, uh, throughout your piece. It was almost like your theme, right? Is whatever, whatever order you and you initially begin with, that's, you're you're always going to be working from that initial set of intervals between each note, right? Um, it it sounds like I know it's not the same, but it sounds similar to uh, the structure of a fugue, almost. You know, uh, well, it's teaching playing, me. playing with little pieces, uh, little mm-hmm. parts of the the fugue, and twisting them around and changing their speed yeah. and order. Yeah, I mean, well, it's it's uh, one, sorry, one second. It's 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 a progression. It's a logical progression of that tradition. You know, it was like Schoenberg is very he's Viennese, you know, and Viennese mm. music 
established, you know, from Mozart to Beethoven and Bach. I mean, I guess Bach and Beethoven were German, but still, Vienna was always the center of that whole world. And uh, um, this was his, this was his, you know, groundbreaking. Um, <clears throat> in a way, he was break. He was simultaneously breaking from tradition and honoring it at the same time mm. by inventing this new uh, method of theme and variation, right? And it totally, it, what it did is it broke away from traditional harmony because the pitches, mm -hmm. he called them, he, he said he liberated the, the notes of the scale, not bound to the, the traditional harmonic system that has existed in classical music for hundreds of years, mm. right? In terms of like the way in which our ear hears tension and resolution, you know, bum, bum, like that basic cadence that I just said, a perfect cadence or whatever. The way like a, a Beethoven piece would end, dun 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 bottom. I'm just doing like that's there's all of these different plagal cadence and perfect cadence and half cadence and all these things that you learn when you study music theory. Um those are all based on Western harmony, which is a which is its own you know, kind of gr grammatical musically grammatical system of how chords agree, you know are supposed to progress and in terms of their 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 expression of and movement away from resolution or you know just the the interplay between tension and resolution right so a chord resolves um, I mean I can demonstrate here like, all right so you have a major chord right and then the dominant would be That's a cadence. That's a perfect cadence. You know, you can, right. you can blues is based on, or no, I'm sorry. Uh, you know, so so the tension is, or no, or the tension would be, you know, uh, mm. waiting. You're like, you can't end there. You've got to resolve it. Oh, okay. You know, there's just, like the ear naturally is like waiting for that. Yeah, exactly, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And um, Schoenberg completely destroyed that system, but with with twelve tone music. So. Well, it's it's interesting. I think you were making this point with uh, with Jim too. It's like um, it's basically yeah. It's modernist music, right? So um, he's these people in music are doing the same thing as people are doing in the visual arts, and people are doing in poetry, and even even yeah. Crowley is doing in um, mm -hmm. occult studies, right? Yeah. Which is yeah. it's all about finding limits and transgressing the limits, you know? That that's like you have to locate the limits first, and then find a way to go beyond. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. That's that's the whole modernist project. Right. Now, I mean, just on a purely gut level, most of my favorite art of any medium comes from that period. Right. Uh, I mean, I love, obviously, like musically, I'm, uh, you know, the, what happened postmodernistically or whatever is equally intriguing. You know, just the complete breakdown of and and mashup of everything all at once. 
Yeah, so that's that's an interesting point. Like um, like Luke's having this discussion about postmodernism. Like, what what actually is it, and what um, and how is it uh, how is it distinct from the modern? Um, so if you define if you define the modern as that, like um, just what we're saying, like finding the limits and then transgressing them, and that's a, I think that's a pretty good definition of what modernism is. Um, then postmodernism is it it it's almost it's almost to the point of self organization. Like postmodernism is the step that Cage is making that you're saying, right? Like a like um, Letting letting the pieces come back together as as they will, you know. Yeah, yeah, um, absolutely. And this this is something that, that Baudrillard said too, you know. Let let things play together, you know. Instead of tr- instead of trying to find a structure of your um, transgression, you know, um, you you already have the transgression, and then things self organize. Right. Yeah, is, is kind of the the postmodern step, I guess. Yeah, it's you. That's one angle, definitely. I mean, it seems to be slightly. Um, it varies a little bit. It seems from medium to medium in in postmodernism, like postmodernism well, literature versus postmodernist music, for example. I know, like like for some for some things, it's it's basically just hyper transgression. It's it's not even right. Right. Next step, you know. Um, so maybe, yeah, I'm confused by that too. If if modernism is in, the, is in the term itself, like there's still like the yes, post postmodernism implies after modernism, but modernism is in the term itself. It's it's almost in a way still a, a progression of modernism, right? It's like yeah, <clears throat> yeah. Well, the, um with literature, like like people like Harold Bloom would say that uh, it's all just it's still romanticism. <laughs> you mm-hmm. know? Like they, it's very they, romantic. It is like very romantic. The, it, well, that's the um, that's the emphasis in, in romanticism too. Is just going beyond the limits. You know, like that's what right. it is. Uh, whereas the uh, just in, um, reading something about Joyce. Being not a romantic, he's a, a a classicist really. And a classicist is somebody who um, doesn't try to get beyond the limits, but just tries to, to see the the infinite in what's here already. Right. Yeah, I like that. I could. I, I'll buy that. Um, hmm. But yeah, it's. Um, like it's an important point, just uh, not not just not just philosophically, but just even in practical terms of of what does it actually mean to be postmodern or to be post postmodern, if you want to call it. Yeah. Uh, like what Cage is doing by introducing the I Ching into the into the equation, this this element of randomness, or not even maybe randomness, maybe something beyond. He called it aleatoric. Ah, yeah, yeah, okay. So I, I, I think it approaches this level that we're talking about before of of, of uh, reawakening the gods, you know. Hmm. Um, yeah, you could you could put it that way for sure. Like that's the next step, right? Like a, uh, 
like a sort of uh, self-organization. The next step beyond that is um, <laughs> willfully invoking <laughs> some some spirit, some some animistic spirit of of whatever it is that you're trying to create or invoke. Yeah. Did you ever see my my introduction to the whole sync book world? Uh, Alan brought me on to when they were when they still did those member those monthly member chats. Mm-hmm. Uh, and <clears throat> this was like right after I met him. Uh, and I did a little talk on Frank Zappa's use of uh, what he what he termed xenocrony. Oh yeah 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 I I don't know if I heard that I I know about it yeah. So that was famous. Your your talk on that. <laughs> What's my my talk is famous on that? Oh. Yeah, that that whole talk is famous. Well, in a, in a confined group, but yeah, that's legendary. Oh wow. <laughs> um. Yeah. God. May thirty first, two thousand fifteen. Yeah, that was within weeks of me randomly emailing Alan saying, "Hey, let's talk." Hmm. Oh. No, sorry, I just sent that to my wife. <laughs> Not, she doesn't give a shit. She's <laughs> like, whatever. No, here we go. So when when was that date again? What did you say? May. I mean, the the video was posted May thirty first, two twenty fifteen. So it would have been twenty fifteen. Okay. Yeah, it would have been like a couple, you know, at least a week prior to that. I would imagine around then. Actually, he was even faster usually at getting that stuff up. But uh, yeah, I just posted it in chat if you ever want to take a look. But this it gets into all of this stuff. I talk about Cage and Schoenberg and um and because my point the the I decided to talk about my what I've speculated is is are, are the you know what inspired Frank to try that technique in the first place. Um, and because he was obviously very intimately familiar with those those traditions in the avant-garde music scene well before he ever did any xenocrony himself. Mm. <clears throat> yeah, I've I, I've listened to this ages okay. ago, I guess, but I, I I'd like to listen to it again. Yeah, I thought it was it turned out pretty nice. I kept it you know very brief. It's like ten minutes or so. Um, oh, what was I going to say? Yeah, I was going to mention something. I forgot. Well, I just realized looking in the chat here, I didn't tell you my Pataw theory. So I could tell you that why you think of what you're... Uh, Oh, it's gone. I, I won't, in, unless something that you say reminds me of it. It's uh Oh yeah, go ahead. Oh, it's just so if you well, if you open up that image and get a closer look at the the non-pixelated version of Patah. So, um, something that's unique about Patah uh, in terms of his portrayal in Egyptian art. Um, is that he's the only god, um, well, him and Osiris, actually, sorry. Um, well, let me see. Wait, hold on. Osiris. 
Uh, where is it? I think so. Yeah, okay, him and Osiris are the only ones. If I, let me share my screen. Uh, so if you look at this image of Osiris and you look at this image of Ptah, mm-hmm. notice how um, their legs are shown in perfect profile. Yes. Right. And any other God depicted in this style um, would have at least another foot visible down here, mm. like mm. just a tiny little line down here. And um, typically they would be in a, in a full angled, like the leg would be out. One leg would be outstretched. Right. Um, every other, every other Egyptian God uh, would be portrayed like that. In fact, if I can, Find, uh, let's see, let's look at, I don't know, Nephthys or something like that. What's your name? Yeah, Nephthys. Nephthys. Yeah, see, so look at her feet here. Right, right. right. Or, or uh, 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 what's another one? Seth. Isis. It's Seth. Oh, Seth. Yeah, but um, you need to say Seth. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, okay, his feet are extended, right? So, and also you see there's, and they all have the same skin color, except for Ptah and Osiris. Um, Both green. Hmm. Both green. Um, And in my, in my interpretation uh, of a lot of the, I mean, I I actually got my local library back in this, in San Francisco to do an interlibrary exchange and get this really old book on Ptah, like all about Ptah. Uh, and read all about him. Um, where is this? I want to stop sharing my screen. Um, oh, why not? Actually, it's fine to look at that. So a lot of the stuff I read, because you, you, you read, you read any one of these stories or myths or whatever, and you, and if you start trying to collect different, um, versions of, of these stories by different authors, supposedly, or just different translations or whatever there you start noticing there's a lot of variations right i mean this is typical Mm. with with all ancient texts right um and so what i started to do is to kind of compile um uh an amalgam of all of them right and what i realized is well long story short my take on that amalgam my interpretation of that amalgam with Ptah is that <clears throat> this is when I was, fan, you know, kind of fancifully entertaining the theory that um, ancient Egyptians knew about evolution. Right. And that Ptah actually represents the classic kind of iconic, um, the first fish that crawled out of water. Mm. Okay. And um, was basically just a, and then lived on the surface as just this kind of blob. Hmm. Okay. Cause it, actually, if you look at some of the other, um, aspects of Ptah, let's see. 
another way in which he is portrayed. Oh, they don't have it here now. Where'd it go? Is but he's actually well, another one of his aspects is as this um, little, almost like thalidomide baby kind of looking kid, like dwarfish little just blob of a child, mm. like this disfigured Patah dwarf. Yeah, let's see. Well, yeah, yeah sometimes portrayed as a dwarf. Um, yeah, here they That's are. Here they are. Yeah, here's oh, this is a good one. That's a good one. Just huh. this little almost blob of a of a of a of a little person or something like that. So, um, and I kind of interpreted that as you know like the prime like almost like the job of the hut or just this blob of a this gelatinous kind of life form as this proto almost protoplasmic kind of amoeba-like blob of living, you know, or of, of an organism. Um, and yeah, so, um, yeah, just not to interrupt, but um, yeah. I'm just thinking when you uh, are talking about this, is the uh, the Greek god Proteus, who was uh-huh. the king of Egypt, like he was a sea god, this, this whole idea of protean, you know. Right, um, right. And he could change forms, he could like, uh, um, he's mutable. Yeah, uh, and and he was associated with Egypt. Uh, so I'm 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 wondering now if if uh, if, if, that's, if, if that's a similar route is another is, aspect of the Ta, right? Yeah, the, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> um, so but then there's you know the the goofiest part of my theory, but I think is is pretty interesting is like if you're if you're in keeping with this idea of this first fish or you know this mud fish or whatever you want to call it that made the 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 transition from sea to land if you're if you're obviously in order to the whatever organism had you know let's obviously you can't isolate a single organism but let's do it for the sake of convenience um if we were to talk about that organism being even being able to do that and survive, it would have to be able to breathe air, right? Mm. And um, so, if you are underwater for a long time and you finally make yourself up to the surface, what's the sound that you're going to make? <laughs> so. That, that, that's the end of my, I mean, it's, it's silly, but, it, but not at the same time. I don't know. I mean, this is the kind of stuff actually right around the time that I contacted Alan and made that video. That was, that was the type of stuff I was definitely thinking about back in the day. And the Isis and Osiris myth also, um, I think is, uh, is equally varied. If you, if you do your research, you find so many different versions and, um, well, the interesting thing that um, Ezra Pound talks about, and he gets this directly from from uh, Greek myth, the idea that uh, at some point metamorphosis was was more prevalent. You know that uh, that, <clears throat> things, that things could change their form. Right. And so, um, <laughs> yeah, of course, this is not scientific at all, right? So, so we're dealing with a kind of idealistic worldview right like a sure um, sure 
but what this means is that at some point um things could flip from one thing to another things were more protein yeah 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 and things could move from animal to human to human to god to whatever right to to right. um to trees like it it's it's um it's Ovid's metamorphosis you know um but then at some point uh people cease to believe in that you know and then and then you get this idea of uh um creation first like creation from god maybe this idea of emanation right and yeah. then eventually that that goes into a more materialistic view of evolution um yeah but at some point maybe in the past things were fluid they um they moved from form to form right this well, kind of I mean, makes this this makes sense to me you know it's like uh like it doesn't make sense scientifically but it makes sense it it makes sense um metaphorically on know. a long enough timeline it makes sense scientifically yeah, I don't even want it to make sense scientifically because I, I think science is just uh it's just a more recent development of it of 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 these ideas, you know. It's like um So in in general, I just see science as as the most recent story, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, and it, and it's all just a story of stories so if you if if you want to look at a, an evolution it's the evolution of stories more than anything else absolutely um, um absolutely so this is the thing like if we try to um this happens a lot where people go back to ancient mythology and say ah see these guys believed in ufo's or they saw ufo's or whatever and it's like no they didn't see ufo's <laughs> you know ufo's is is ufo's are our concepts you know it's like yes. you have the concept of the ufo it's like um for them there were no ufo's you know like they didn't they, they right. don't have a, the same idea of the of the cosmos even as we do you know it, it was something it was something different they might be similar in in the coming from a, a similar space, but uh, no, it's not. It's we we just can't translate our scientific terms right um, in, into a primitive worldview or even a even a medieval worldview or right. Renaissance worldview. Like yeah. you read you read Renaissance texts and it's just like it they don't make any sense at all. You know? I know. Um, but they do they have their own sense you know yes of course they must um and actually they are more coherent than than the modern worldview because um coherence was a part of their worldview yeah Um, yeah absolutely um, i'm meaning that uh in the modern view uh it, it, we don't have to come up with a coherent system. It's just it's fine that that uh, there are bits and pieces of things that we cobble together, and that's that's fine. You know, it's sort of an ad hoc thing. But uh, the the medieval worldview and even the Renaissance worldview is it needed to be a holistic system, right? But then, yeah, if you, uh, yeah, reading about 
Egypt, you know, or, or trying to even consider what the Egyptians thought. Um, yeah. It's just like, uh, <laughs> it's, it's, it's completely psychedelic, you know? It's, uh, yeah, and you can have a lot of fun just <clears throat> projecting. And that's what I was doing when I was doing all my Ptah research. Is oh, when, for sure, yeah. You know, just, and especially once you, once you, what I, the process I was doing of, of kind of mapping the different, the, the variations in, in the, in the different versions of the same story. <clears throat> when you, when you pinpoint those and you pinpoint the differences and the, and the, and the, and the, and the similarities, that reveals a whole another level of interpretation that you can take. Um, and if you find trying to find a unified thread between them and trying to find the dividing line at the same time offers, you know, different perspectives. Yeah. It's just endless. Like, yeah, I was just reading about the Egyptian mythology. It's like that where it, it's contradictory, you know, it's like, uh, and, and there was no problem with contradictions. <laughs> you know? Not only that, uh, I mean, it's, I mean, it, 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 it comes from such a, a, a vast, you know, actual span of time, uh, that it was only natural that there would be so much variation and, and, and development and, and, you know, retro, retroactive, uh, what's the term? Retconning, you know, retroactive continuity, <laughs> like, mm. it would be added in a later dynasty or like, and then you start seeing the names of gods that they become these hyphenated version, you know, of like they're, they're, you know, like they start combining names of multiple gods into a new, yeah, a new yeah. version that is simultaneously aspects of all those gods, but also a new, a new, um, god all entirely and, and, uh, yeah, I mean, it's so rich because what there's, I mean, if you believe, if you believe Graham Hancock, there's, a, you know, like eight or nine thousand years of history there alone, mm-hmm. <clears throat> depending on how far back you date it. Yeah, and but, then, yeah, like even even Greek mythology, there's so many different um, versions of the same right. myth, right. which which what that means is that it. it I think this is what um, I think this is the uh, this idea came with Levi Strauss is that it, it keeps it all fluid and it keeps it all alive in a certain way because yeah. there's there's so many different ways to fit it um, fit it all together with with itself you know um, depending on which variation of myth you, um, right right whereas you have something like the Bible and it gets fixed. Um, it gets fixed in order to preserve um, its truth, apparently, but it ends up killing it in a in a way, you know. Right. Um, because there's there's only one possible interpretation. Uh, yep. That that same is true with the the Quran and the Torah. I mean, mm-hmm. like um, really, there's not, you know, like there's right. There's, of course not. Um, and that's what the Kabbalah is all about, you know. But uh, um. But, I love yeah. that that I mean you can even go to a, a like a Bible website and and type in a verse and chapter of a of a book and it will sh- and it will output you know sixty different versions of that same chunk of text mm-hmm. yeah that's and, great. and show the source and it's and it's really fun to read all of them in a row and just yeah, yeah. pick all the differences um, 
I was doing that in, uh, cause I was, I was certain that there was another reference to my, uh, to support my baculum theory, uh, in the Bible and I found it. Um, but it's not overt. Uh, it's actually the interpretation that kind of supports my, my theory is, is found in, in some obscure volume of the Hebrew Midrash, Midrash texts. Um, but basically there's a, there's a moment where if you know, you know, the original covenant with Abraham is all about circumcision. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and, um, later on, I think it's in Kings one, um, Elijah is on a mountain and God tells him to, for some, for, I can't remember the exact context of why, but God tells, reminds him of, of the covenant with Abraham. And so, or, or tells him to be reminded of it. And so Elijah gets down on his knees and bends over and buries and like puts his head in between, like bends, bows his head down in between his knees. And, uh, in the Midrash interpretation of this part of the, of the Bible, um, it's saying that like, what was it exactly? Well, the whole point is that he, God is telling Elijah to, to look at his penis to be reminded of the covenant, mm-hmm. right? That he's circum- to be reminded that he's circumcised. Mm. And why would he need to look in that? With why would he need to look at his penis at that particular contorted angle? If and the idea is that if if the 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 word for rib uh, in the Adam and Eve story was mistranslated from a, a euphemism for baculum. And that, and that God removed Adam's baculum, thereby causing the, 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 the phallic rafe, which is the scar tissue on the bottom of the penis, mm-hmm. like that, that ridge on the bottom of the penis. And, and biologically, they say that that scar tissue is formed, uh, while the, 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 the fetus is developing. And at the moment that the, the, you know, the, the hormones or whatever that are released that declare that the fetus is going to be male or female. There's this tearing in the skin, in the skin tissue that occurs that, that gives rise to the genitals. And that's where that scar comes from. But, uh, the, this Zion Ezevit guy who actually is the first guy to posit that the rib was, the word for rib was mistranslated from baculum is saying this is a biblical explanation for why the, the phallic rafe exists, right? Just like other body parts are, or like the navel, for example, was explained in the Bible, like why it's there. Um, and so if Elijah is having to bend all the way over to look at the underside of his penis to be reminded of the covenant, he's look, he's, he's got a perfect view of his phallic rafe. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So I looked at which which is compelling in 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 the context of this theory, you know, and it's the only other instance in the entire uh, scripture that I was able to locate that has any even remote reference to this. Um, 
And so, yeah, I looked up this particular passage and read like 60 different versions of it. And they're all basically the same. They basically say the same thing, but some of them more overtly describe the kind of contorted position he's in. Some of them just say, oh, he gets down on the ground. But some of them are more specific, saying he puts his head in between his knees and he's looking up underneath his crotch. Basically, I mean, they don't say that, but they you can infer that from the more specific description of his position, um, yeah. which I thought was awesome. I was like, yes, I found more. I've got more proof. <laughs> I just I just obviously, you know, I'm obsessed with that theory. And I just love it. I just think there's just so much you can. You can uh, uh, withdraw, or you can, you know, uh, extract from it as a, as a, as a, as a kind of primordial archetypal symbol of the phallus. Like it just, it just loads it with so much more uh, hidden meaning. Well, I, like, I love it. I love it how you you tie it into the uh, the original form of the original sounds of letters and forms of letters and. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, that's how I discovered the word baculum, because I had come up with those eight, those eight consonants. Right, right. And I started saying, well, what, maybe, maybe words that are very near, because, you know, I reduce the words, like, it's almost like the sigil process. I take a word, I remove all the vowels, and then, uh, if it's not one of those original eight consonants, then one of those consonants reduces back to one of the eight. And I was like, well, what about words that are already like really close, you know, next next generation uh, uh, ex- extensions of these original eight consonants, and I couldn't find anything with all eight. The only actually the only word that contains all eight is the word unscrambled um, hmm. that I've been able to find. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but uh, uh, so I broke them in I broke it in half. So B K L M and N R S T, and so B K L M I started looking. For words that and that's baculum right there mm. you know bk or you know you just kind of, the the c reduces to the k but then the b and the l and the m are already there and so i'm like baculum what's that and i looked into that and and i discovered this guy's book where, he, where he's like oh baculum you know or like the word rib was mistranslated and i was like what this is cool and so to me just the the multiple aspects of that type of like low level kind of archetypal significance linguistically and, and religiously and all of and symbolically just all came to a head. It was like an earth phenomenon, you know, the, the archetypal proto, the archetypal phenomenon um, where all of these things coincide from different, from different media and. The, yeah. The fundamental consonants yeah. Boiled down to our cockbone. Yep. Well, that's I mean, and, and just the idea that you know, removing that is the bur- is is the invention of the gentleman. So right. Yes, that's right. And that's why the the Arthurian legend, I believe, is another hidden, or is another baculum story of you know the knight who is worthy pulls a sword out of a rock. You know, just it's like the night the man who is worthy pulls the bone out of his cock. Right? Yeah, and then but plus that's um, that's also connected to the uh, like the leg wound of the Fisher King, which is probably a groin uh-huh. wound. 
you know? Oh, fuck! And that, that goes all the way back. Like, that, that's primordial, you know? And he gives so, him a, and he gives him a cup. Yeah, and that, that's what causes, that, that ties into what Alan's into, you know, the, uh, the wasteland, you know, that's what the, uh, that's why the wasteland comes about because he's he's wounded in the groin the uh the fisher king what how does the wasteland come about from that well it's it's the uh it's 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 the idea that uh the king the king's health uh the the nation's health oh, oh, depends oh, oh. depends on the king's health and right, right. the nation is af- is afflicted in the same way that the king is afflicted right so society is afflicted in the same way that yeah, the that, rulers of uh, afflicted, the right? The patriarch is afflicted. Yeah, uh, wow, that's awesome. I hadn't. Oh man. So okay. there. Um. Yeah, this one. So, yeah, if you get into that, then then it's like um, Shakespeare. Like uh, Ted Hughes has written a huge book on on all of this, looking into Shakespeare and how it's. Um, this uh, his book is Shakespeare and the Goddess of Complete Being, which I. I think Luke does not like, but uh, anyways, <laughs> there's a lot uh, we like. That Luke doesn't like. <laughs> I haven't read this yet. I've just uh, leafed through it. I know, I know the. Excuse I know the idea of it, but so he traces this back, right back to the story of, uh, yeah, Venus and Adonis. Oh wow! And it goes further that. back than that. You know, like that Venus and Adonis is it's it's. Uh, Based on earlier stuff. Um, awesome. But this idea that uh, yeah, it's usually it's usually the the pig, the wild pig who wounds the um, who wounds the 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 hero or the king in his leg, and it's it's actually his groin. So uses like the wild pig um, uses its tusks to to basically. Um, Take out the uh, the hero's genitals. Oh wow! But uh, it's expensive. So if you had if you had if you could fit pig into your theory somehow, maybe pig makes up the the missing consonants. What is it? N R S T. Is there anything piggish about that? Uh, um. Swine. Swine. No. I'll look into it. <laughs> yeah. Well, the uh, the other um, uh, the other part is nursed. Like nursed. Our, yeah. So after you remove your baculum, it has to be nursed. <laughs> 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 there's also unrest. Is another oh, yeah. one. Or insert. Um, treason. Oh. Uh, Saturn. Um, there's Sorry, a lot of work. Yeah. yeah. NRST. Let's see this. Nourished is in there. Um, yeah. No, I mean, there's, uh, I've, I've got lists and lists of this, of, <laughs> of possibilities, as you can imagine. Um, yeah, I want to check out this Ted Hughes book. It's 50 bucks, though, or 50 pounds. Jesus. No, no, you, you, I'm sure if you went to a shop, you could find this. Yeah, I'm sure I could. And I, I, I would try other means, but I vowed to stop.
but I can afford it. So I, you know, I can, the paperback edition is 24 pounds, but it's not released yet. That's too bad. No, I just meant uh, going, going to a, uh, a used bookstore or something in London, oh. trying to find yeah. it. I, like I'm sure you'd find cheap copies. Yeah. For sure. This one I notice I got it used in the, in the paper at the beginning is falling out. This, the, that book, the Ted Hughes book? Yeah. So I didn't notice that before. Noost. Okay, we'll, we'll try to find that. The, uh, the connection of uh, Noost and the pig. Wouldn't that be great if it was uh, Baculum and... I wonder, if, I wonder if this is related to Tusk at all. Tusk. Oh, well, Tusk. Oh. Well, that's a whole other... Actually, yes, it is totally related, especially the word tusk. And we don't have time for me to explain my tisk, tisk, tusk, tusk mm. theory. But, um, yeah, it's absolutely... I mean, the tisk, it's the, the actual linguistic term of tisk is... Uh, if you go to Wikipedia... All right, here, let's look at this um, real quick. Let me share screen. Uh, tisk... Uh, tisk, tisk, a dental click. Here we go. Oh, look at that. The symbol for a dental click is just a rod. Um, this thing, right? <laughs> and I have a whole theory that it's like a, a motherese, um, cause there's the whole motherese theory as the birth of language, mm -hmm. right? It's like the mother putting down her baby and needing to vote, like put it out of her sight while she's hunting or whatever right. and, and started vocalizing. Um, and tisk tisk is this kind of, uh, um, expression of disapproval. And, and I think it's like this, that sound, the tongue click, um, mm. is, uh, cause there's a, there's many different clicks that we can produce with our mouth. There's the, there's that, mm -hmm. there's that, like the, the horse, like, mm. media. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then there's the yeah, tisk, 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 right? Yeah, exactly. Um, and in my quest for the ultimate fundamental prototypical kind of symbol set, that one is like at the core of you know the you know Gaia's disapproval, Mother Earth, just the ultimate mother archetype, mm -hmm. saying. Naughty, naughty, naughty. It's also the the shaking, wagging the finger. Mm -hmm. same, like same form. Yeah, and uh, and the, you know the symbol used for it is a is the is an L is a lowercase L or a, or a capital I basically, but just a, a rod and uh, or a pipe you would call it in typography, um, and uh, which is you know phallic, um, and the mother you know in all my Adam and Eve reinterpretations is the one removing his, her son, Adam, uh, mother Eve, removing Adam, uh, son, Adam's baculum. And she's got this rod now. <laughs> Cause the other, if you look up the word baculum in dictionary, it means, uh, from baculum, walking stick, cane, staff, scepter, rod, stick, cudgel, Hmm. 
Um, I've even seen uh, Magic Wand. But yeah, so Tisk is definitely related to that. Well, yeah, even in so if we bring it to Tusk, like it's Tusk is the same same shape as well. Right. Oh, and that reminds me of the Ptah theory I didn't even mention. Like, there's this whole thing about one the of rod. So this, his rod, but his rod is made up of three um, symbols. There's the 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 dog shape, which is his head, or the you know that shape up here and the feet down here. There's mm-hmm. this blue and there's the jed, which is the jed. Here, yeah, I was just gonna say that. Yeah. Right, and that means that's that's based on like the spine, mm-hmm. the vertebral spine, and it means being upright or supported, and he's wrapped in this clothing because he's this, this blob that needs to be, that is ultimately going to be an upright walking man, right? Mm. Uh, a bipedal man. So there's like that whole symbolic, uh, 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 trajectory embedded in, in the symbolism of him. And the other, I mean, that's the whole point of the baculum is that it's an art of, it's a, it's a, it's an instinctual erection, a support mm. of being upright, right? And it's also Osiris with his glass penis, or I mean his gold penis that Isis crafts, right? That because he can't get it up because he's or like that's the one thing that's missing. Mm-hmm. Is she reassembles him and she fashions a gold phallus that is that is metal literally and 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 doesn't need to doesn't need blood to be erect. Engorged. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, there's this, there's so many tie overs. That's why, I mean, it's just limitless, man. Like, I just, I love this theory. So, on that note. <laughs> yeah, that's a lot to think about. It is a lot to think about, man. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm excited. It, it makes me. <sighs> It's just a great. It makes you melt. It makes me burp, and it gets me. It gets me hard. <laughs> well, no, no, it keeps you from getting hard. Yeah, it's nature's Viagra, is what it is. <laughs> it. Mm. The mm-hmm. poet's the poet's wand. That's right. The pen is mightier than the baculum. Well, it's the whole thing. I was just re- writing this essay. On uh, Francis Bolderoff, who's a crazy scholar of of Joyce, and she ties in all this stuff like Berkeley and Bruno and Blake and everything else, everything that I've been interested in, and she's done it d- decades ago, you know. And, and yeah. she was the lover of Charles Olson as well, you know. Oh, they, no kidding! Oh, yeah, wow. they they did a whole they corresponded for decades, you know, like a. Wow. Um, she inspired, probably inspired a lot of his poetry and, and his poetics, like, uh, projective verse and, um, all of, all of the poetics that, uh, Olson's known for. It's like, um, you can trace it back to her ideas. Huh. Um, but, uh, what was I saying before that? Um, yeah, no, she's talking about, um, Ulysses, yeah, the end, well, at, at the Circe, section of Ulysses and the sort of climactic moment of that is um, Stephen Dedalus takes up his staff um, and it's modeled directly off of the, the old poet's wand of the Druids you know mm-hmm. the Druidic bards of Ireland and mm-hmm. 
he smashes this he he has a vision of his dead mother and uh she's she's kind of making him feel guilty because he's no longer a catholic and she, you know, oh she's tutting him yeah tutting exactly and so he smashes her image and happens to shatter um this chandelier he's in a whorehouse he he smashes this chandelier and it's the shatter of all time and space you know oh, so wow. he's using he's using the baculum to destroy time and space which ends the wasteland that's the that's the uh the climax of the book um, <laughs> i know <laughs> god damn see what i mean it's everywhere yeah now, if you tie it to the the fraser stuff you know the 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 king kill stuff, right? Then, then it's just endless, you know. It's endless, like that's yeah. that's that's. It it could actually be that that's the that's the the missing part of it. The missing part that's, of it. That's my big. That's why it gets me so excited. Is that it seems like this is some lost, uh, potentially just lost story of it all, you know, and that and or or, or like fundamental kind of element that ties it all together you like know? like yours yeah the isis and osiris myth doesn't make sense without a penis bone almost you know yeah exactly <laughs> like otherwise he just loses his little floppy dinky you know yeah right it's right like that's not a big deal really yeah <laughs> i mean it, it would suck but i know, know. yeah 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 <laughs> Stay stumpy. <laughs> well, I should I should go. I've got to go pick her up now. But uh, okay, yeah, yeah, it was good. Yeah, it was great. And thank you for um, for reading my script. I appreciate it. It's encouraging feedback, oh, for, that especially was that was good. From TV guy, that that always is nice. Um, and uh, I can't wait to get your book, man. I'm so excited. Yeah, yeah, me neither. I, I haven't got it yet. Well, I've got the proof copy, but I want to get the uh, the actual. Um, I've I ended up uh, I'm sending out all these author copies, but they take a lot longer, you know. So I've just I I'm able to order it now from Amazon.jp, and it's going to arrive on Monday. So I just oh, got wow. an extra copy for myself. Oh, fuck it, I'll just or, I'm I'll order a second copy so I can give it away. Oh well, yeah, yeah. If you want to do that, I guess it's coming on. But death, sweat. Oh, there it is. No, it's the second. The first thing that comes up is a hoodie, and the second thing that comes up is when I just type death sweat. Yeah. Um. It's like death sweater or something. Yeah. All right, I just bought it. Oh really? Okay. Yeah, why not? I'm gonna show my support. Well, thank you. Oh, it's just very exciting, man. And you must you must be really proud and and relieved that it's finally done. I am relieved. I don't know how proud I am. Like it, it's it's a weird thing, you know. I don't um, like their early essays. In a way, I feel distant from them. But um, reading it over in the proof copy, it all it all became significant again yeah. for me. So I was I was happy about that. But uh, good. I still have no idea how it's going to be, how people will respond to it, you know, like it's, it's a weird thing. Well, we'll find out. Mm. All right.
Yeah, take care. That was. It's been great. Yeah, uh, as always. And so yeah, let's plan to get Lukey on here sometime. Yeah, absolutely. If and and until then, we'll. I'll see you on the the epic thread. <laughs> <laughs> you ever bifurcating thread? Yes, indeed. <laughs> All right, okay. man. Yeah, take care. Have a good day. You too. Right.